This episode of the Inside Running Podcast is brought to you by Pillar Performance, Australia's first micronutrition brand, providing high-strength formulations to support optimal performance and recovery for endurance athletes. Available now at pillarperformance.com.au. Episode number 213 of the Inside Running Podcast. Thank you for joining us for another week. Big show coming at you this week. Got some results from at least three different states throughout Australia. Some big races happened over the weekend. Moose on the loose, listen to question. Big interview coming at you with two guests at the end there that Moose conducted last week. And um, yeah, we'll do all the other things that we've been doing on this show for the previous 212 weeks. Welcome my co-host up in Canberra, Brad the Cowboy Croker. Welcome to you this week. Thanks, Brady. How you going? Yeah, good, thanks. How you going? Yeah, good. Good. Uh, Christmas spirit starting to build in this house. We put the Christmas tree up on Saturday and, uh, yeah, Christmas is special now that we've got a couple of kids. It's uh, certainly different to how it's been for, uh, what, 20-odd years before now or even longer, 30 years. Yeah. I see you believe. So now you read the Bible and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I like uh, I like putting up the Christmas tree and putting lights on there and giving some presents on Christmas Day. Have some and integrity, receiving. Brad. Have some integrity. Isn't Christmas uh, great for a retailer like you, Moose? What are you talking about? Yeah. You should be loving Christmas. Uh, it's called, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Look, I'm stuck in between. <laughs> I'm getting pulled both ways. You know what Moose is like. Yeah, you know, argument when it's when it works in his favour. Yeah, exactly. The whole yeah. religious side of Christmas is just fading, though, isn't it, Moose? Isn't it just commercial stuff now? You should be embracing this. Yeah. Well, look, I like to I like to spread the load across the twelve months shopping with us, Brady. <laughs> so you're better off get coming in when you need something rather than just getting it for the sake of getting it. Yeah, true. Yeah, it is hard at that time of the year when you feel like you're buying presents just for the sake of buying presents to tick the boxes for the one uncle oh. that you see every twelve months. But you've got to like get a gift. Surely you're something. not buying. You're nah. not buying your uncles a present. Well, no we're way. actually having the year off Christmas this year because Carly's due date is like right near Christmas. So we've just told her family and stuff like, "Hey, don't expect us there Christmas Day because we'll um Perfect. we'll either have a newborn or we'll be waiting for a newborn to arrive. So just count us out of all the KKs, all the present giving, all that kind of stuff." That's poor, poor Hudson, he's just like, oh, hang on, what about me? I'm a two-year-old. I kind of enjoy Christmas a bit. We haven't figured out yeah. what to do there yet. But um, I was going to introduce you, Moose, as the man with all the wisdom at the moment. I was listening to Shoe Geeks today. You were kind of explaining the global marketing issues, the shipping issues, the problems at the docks, problems at sea, shipping containers, all those kind of things. So I learned a bit off you there listening to that this morning. And you're also um, the man about the, is it the Omnicron variant? The new COVID oh. variant, you've been doing your research there as well. So you're the man of all the knowledge at the moment. No, I think it was that Saturday. I think I had a, 
I was sort of on Twitter and I went down some threads on Twitter and that's that's my research done for the day there. You're the kind of guy but, who does his own research. <laughs> yeah. You <laughs> said just spend well, an hour reading up on it. The, the, I was Twitter is actually quite a valuable place if you don't get trapped in in some of the, the holes on there. But there, like you can follow some of the, the sort of more renowned credentialed scientists who who put out their research and actually answer questions on it. It's quite good in terms of that. Obviously, it's Twitter. There's garbage and there's trolls and there's all sorts of negativity and tall poppy syndrome, all that, all the rest of it. But there is actually some some value to that um, app or what do you call it platform. Whereas then you've got something like Facebook, and there is very little value to that. So tell us about. Should we be worried about this new variant? Is Melbourne Marathon in trouble? Tell us about that for starters. Well, no, Any I don't concerns? know. I'm, I'm not. not I don't... I'm not an expert on what the government's going to do, and I'm not even. Stay in your lane, stay in your lane. I'm just an expert on the virus. I I don't know. Um, I was worried that because we got a we got an overseas trip booked in January, so I'm just keeping an eye on it. What? Where are you going in January? Oh, just to Fiji, just like a week. um, Just yeah, just yeah, a week in Fiji, or maybe less than a week, but. I mean, coming home and not having to isolate um, or quarantine was a real plus to that. <laughs> it's sort of, I'm just worried that it's going to change. Mm. It already has changed to 72 hours, but if it if it changes to two two weeks, then all of a sudden, no one's travelling again, are they? Mm. Not for not for that type of shit anyway. Not for stuff that's not important. Yeah, and the other part of the uh, intro was this manufacturing issue. I saw the uh, tweet from. One of the Hanson brothers over there in the USA saying, hey, buy as many pairs of running shoes as you can at the moment because there's issues going on in the world. And then I heard you banging on about today on Shoe Geeks. This yeah. Is well, it's been flagged. It, it, it was flagged as soon as some of the factories started shutting in Vietnam and when they had a big COVID crisis and they went into lockdown and they shut the factories, which are obviously like densely populated warehouse factories where a lot of people work in close proximity and um, they sh- they shut and so they were shut for like three or four months which uh, you could imagine everyone trying to produce not just one brand but all the brands are in across the same factories a lot of the time and uh, there's a real backlog when when the factory stops producing for three or four months um, it's a really hard to get get back on top of that and it will take a long time to get back on it just doesn't take a three or four months after that to get back on top it'll take years to get back on top or at least a year so we're going to see real issues um with product arriving product that was predicted to arrive from like november onwards basically we're already seeing delays in december january feb march april even we're going to see some brands just cancel styles altogether uh, then just they're going to cancel full seasons for some retailers. Um, some products won't get updated. Certain like there's there's also like problems with shipping containers around the world. The price of a shipping container I heard went up like um, from like two thousand dollars to twenty thousand dollars or something like that. And even ships, the ships just sat out the sat out off ports because they can't actually access the ports because there's a backlog at the. Um, at the docks so there's so many delays like it's just a, a chain reaction of backlog that 
Uh, I don't see it coming good until sort of late next year. So what you're saying, Moose, is you shouldn't have given me shit last week about saving my alpha flies and things like that. We still got some alpha flies there. We we've been back in the we've been back in the truck up the last few, <laughs> the last few uh, months because because there are, there were a couple of people that predicted this and started to move on it and just sort of put in contingency plans and uh, you might not be so like I guess what I'm trying to say is that if you can if you see a shoe that you know is is often difficult to get or niche it's probably a good time to get it uh if if your shoe is one of the more popular ones in the industry then you still might be able to get it just don't expect a new model um and don't start i guess you won't be able to get picky on colors and that kind of thing either because it'll <laughs> there'll be a lot of people just taking what they can get another thing and shoe geeks will be out publicly in the next couple of days but another thing you mentioned was because Australia isn't a big like market compared to other countries around the world, we won't get supply. Yeah, yeah. So the, they'll obviously prioritise the first batches of stuff that come out of the um, factories, and because we're sort of a like a lower priority, lower on the food chain or the pecking order compared to some of the bigger markets, then we will suffer a little bit more. And say the production gets cut in half. Well, our allocation is a lot smaller than the other countries anyway, so um, our half gets cut even smaller. And, and what that will mean is, like, you might you might have certain retailers who don't actually stock shoes anymore. Like, they just won't be able to, to access them. Are there any other industries that, um, like, of course, there's, you know, a lot of factories and stuff in China and Vietnam and stuff that you yeah. know of that will suffer in the same kind of way as oh, the running shoe industry? Yeah. Like, you're talking all retail? clothing all retail yeah. so yeah i ran with a, a mate who works for aldi and he's sort of a, a in a in an upper management role there he said they are having horrendous issues right now because mainly for shipping from that for those guys they're having trouble with actually getting the product from china or south anywhere in southeast asia over here so yeah they're they're having some some proper problems um and they're looking at ways to, to try to help with that. And if, if you say Aldi's having trouble, one of the best sort of logistical companies yeah. <laughs> in the world, then every everyone else is too. So you can expect, you can ex like Christmas shopping will be difficult this year. If someone's like, if you've got a kid after a bike, you pretty much had to be buying a bike several months ago to be locking that in as a present. Um, yeah, everyone's saying the same sort of thing. Interesting. Talking about Aldi, really good beer I had from Aldi the other day, south of somewhere. You heard of it? Aldi beer? No, no I've so, had an Aldi beer for ages. Yeah, neither have I, but this is like, I don't know if they've just ripped off stone and wood, um, but pretty much that real stone and wood vibe, 40 bucks a yeah. slab. Can't go wrong, fellas, next time you're What do they Aldi. call it? Pacific Ale? South of somewhere, Australian pale ale. Mm. A session ale with fruity flavours and moderate, moderate bitterness. Interesting. Anyway, so yeah, get in there if you're uh, if they've got any stock left. Let's talk about some running. Hey, thanks for taking us to our world news before we start, though. Bradley, yeah. you want to take us through your running week? No, I reckon you should go first, Brady. You're, oh, um, really, Craig? Yeah, you're the one that's training training for an event here. Okay. Uh, uh, Moose and I aren't, so you should um, spend a bit more time going through your week rather than getting to the end and go, all right, I'll whip through my week. So you go first. Well, we don't have to call anyone this week. That's what's been doing my head in. Well, not doing my head in. I've been running out of time the last couple of weeks with uh, phone calls to make, but we do have no phone calls tonight, so I will go through this. 
just getting ready. 50 minutes um, Monday morning. Bit tired, 4.40 pace. That was off the back of that bigger workout, mile on, mile float last Sunday. And 7K in the afternoon at 4.30s. Now, Moose, I listened to a podcast recommendation you had, the uh, No Skips podcast, where they talk about like a hip-hop or rap album mm-hmm. and really unpack it. And I listened to the Kanye West episode. They've got two on there about Kanye West, but the one yep. I listened to is My Twisted Dark Fantasy, and I loved it. They, their knowledge of that, or of music in general, was fantastic. I love how, um, so mm. listeners who have never heard this, they kind of play bits of the song, they talk about the history of the, um, I guess, the hip-hop scene at the time when this album was released, and then, yeah, go through like all the production and some of the better songs, and yeah, cameos so, and all those kind of things. So good. I loved it. One of the... One of the issues is not not skipping across the podcast and listening to the album straight away. Yeah, it's really it's so difficult to actually go through with the full episode, um, and and I can't do it. Like no. I got through halfway that, and I'm like, I have to listen to this album right now. Yeah. <laughs> like I've got to. And the samples um, they play just quite out long enough, like they're yeah. fifteen yeah. second, twenty second samples, and like oh, play for a minute, two minutes or something. So, but I learned so much about that album, like. Um, yeah, and I've just been listening to that album like for the millionth time all week yeah. after listening to that podcast. That got me through my runs on Monday, uh, 70 minutes on Tuesday morning at 4.26 pace and then seventy a 7K the afternoon at 4.26 pace, so another daily double, which turns out these daily doubles aren't that rare, fellas. I'm pretty much on here every week saying I've got a daily double, so there's uh, no point banging on about that anymore. Wednesday was a workout, 3 by 5K with 1K float between. Not sure what the weather was like where you guys were, fellas, but it was really hot and humid up here. So um, I went a bit later. I think I started my warm-up at maybe like 8.30, and I knew it was going to be humid because um, Carly went for a walk in the morning, and when when it's real humid, her hair goes real frizzy. I'm not sure if that's like an every girl problem, but she came back from the walk, and her hair was like just frizzing everywhere, and I'm just like, oh, no, this is not going to be good for my run. Um... Which was a bit of a shame because I re- really mentally like hitting this last bigger workout good and everything going to plan, but I had to adjust. It was just, yeah, I think I looked up the um, bomb today. When I did it, it was 21 degrees, 78% humidity, and 17k an hour winds. And I wanted to try and hit like 315, 316 pace for the 5Ks, but I just backed them off a bit, kind of hitting like 318, 320 pace. Um, around my like 4.5k loop, for 2K, I'd have a massive hit. Well, not a massive. 17K an hour is not huge, but it's enough to kind of impact you. I'd have, like run into it and kind of feel like junk and have to slow it down a bit for 2K. And then I'd have a tailwind for 2K and it would um, feel a bit too easy. So found it hard to lock into the rhythm, hit the pace. That's definitely not marathon pace though, if that's um, what we get on race day. So I was like 1629, 1629, 1625. And just, yeah, like did it. And the heart rate data was pretty good. Got two gels and two drinks down. So kind of tried to really simulate the first hour of the um, the marathon with what I was going to drink and what I was going to have for gels, but just uncomfortable, sticky. Yeah, there's so going to be some carnage if that's what we get on race day. Yes, this Julian. isn't this this is pr- like a pretty likely scenario on race day mm. like 21 and 78 that i mean that's probably around um normal i would suggest for, for sort of towards the end of the, of the race. race yeah yeah exactly um and and really on paper that's not 
that bad, is it? That that weather. Yeah. Uh, like when you consider some of the some of the other um, races that we've seen and training through summer, that would be a good day in Moema. Like yeah. that would be a pleasant day all through summer when you train for it. Uh, so it's interesting that you've felt the effects of it during yeah. this one. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think I would have had many workouts though where I would have been, like would have been twenty plus. Like because you're working out pretty early in the mornings, um, and it's been a pretty tame kind of start to or end of spring, start of summer. Um, so yeah, it didn't feel like I got it done. I felt okay. Like. Like my legs felt fine and I could hit the pace, no worries, but it just felt uncomfortable and I was just like, yeah, this is yuck. You know, when your singlet like sticks to you and you like feel like, you're, like your shoes mm. are squeaking because you got sweat in your socks and stuff. I'm just like, yeah, nah, that needs to be, um, for me anyway, maybe because I'm, yeah, not great in the head. I don't know, maybe I've got to adjust the pace more. Of course I do if it's like that on race day. So, Or maybe you should have tried to like acclimatize a little bit by doing a little bit of heat training so like you know rugging up and you know making yourself uncomfortable yeah because it sounds like you haven't done a lot of that in this prep at all just done my second runs in the heat like but not kind of put my body under big stress that's okay that's okay though but like yeah most of my second runs would be in 25 plus but i'm kind of done half an hour 35 minutes whereas Mm. this one just was like yeah you're out there Funny these uh Achuka Moama boys uh, moose they like love training in like ideal conditions and then they get one day that's just that little bit warm and just goes to water. What are you talking about that session I had a couple of weeks ago? I was like twenty five k an hour. Well, twenty one about... degrees, twenty one degrees, twenty degrees, and twenty one degrees full sun. It said a hundred percent humidity on my Strava. I don't know where they got that number from, but I looked it up on the bomb today and I was like, no, nah, it was seventy eight, seventy eight uh, H relative humidity so anyway got the session done um did 7k in the afternoon at 431s easy day thursday 30 minutes at 433s and 45 minutes in the afternoon at uh 422s got caught in the storm cool change had come through and uh got smashed with rain there friday can i just say firstly you put a picture up of running around the showgrounds yeah i've been wondering what the showgrounds are like now you put a picture up and i can see them yeah, well, they're actually, they're not, the, they're called the Moama Showgrounds on that map, but it's not the Moama Showgrounds. Like, I know what the Bendigo Showgrounds look like, and, like, this is completely different than what I'd say a standard Showgrounds would look like. Even, like, when the show comes to town, it doesn't go to Moama Showgrounds. I've never heard anyone in Moama call it the Moama Showgrounds. What do they call it? It's called, like, Moama Botanical Gardens or, like, the Adventure Play Park, and there's, like, all venture, like, the Moama Sporting Precinct. So, like... Yeah, it's much prettier than you'd imagine the showgrounds look like. There's a little lake in there and there's beautiful gardens and, yeah, five different ovals. I took you there, Brad, when we um, yeah. when we went there, where that track is. This is where our athletics track is. Some yeah. beautiful sandy paths through there. So what, so what, what yeah. about, like, like, Brady's like, oh, did did I take you to, like, the beach? I'm like, nah. <laughs> so he's, take, he's taken me to the industrial estate and he took me to the grass track to check the check the surface. That was the tour I got. Well, that's Moama, really, isn't it? Pretty much. <laughs> well, I mean, there's Golf no other club. spots. Rich River. Yeah. Go to Rich River. But it looks nice in that photo, doesn't it? That's kind of a nice sandy path there. Um, hey, why don't you run on Rich River Golf Course? Do sometimes. The greens yeah? keep, yeah. We do when we've got a bit of cross-country stuff coming up. 
It's like the best golf club in, of course, in Australia, though, isn't it? So they don't. That like is us not true. Like, I'm pretty that sure is. it is. It's like top three or top five. <laughs> that is totally false. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's pretty uh, high. No, it's you not. know it's got you know it's got 36 holes. I know. Two I've courses. played there both courses, and it's not in the top three in Australia. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, I think it's pretty pretty high up there. I don't know much about golf though. Um, no. That was really. Thursday, uh, Friday, 90 minutes, six times 20 second strides. And then um, 7K easy in the afternoon at 4.35 pace. And I thought I had a big day at school. Oh, did I tell you guys I worked an extra day at school last week? I had no. to go in four days. You know how this time of the year croaks, it's all about like analysing all the data, getting it sent off to the department, stuff like that? Mm-hmm. That's my job. So we've got to get it in by 30th of November. So that's been interesting, trying to hit some deadlines there. Saturday, 70 minutes, 4.17 pace. Went over to Wachuca. Tourists everywhere over there. Just, um, yeah, seeing them all through there. A couple more photos for you there on my Strava. Scenic Drive croaks. We actually ran around there. I took you a tour there as well. Yeah, you did that one. the river. That was nice. A few photos. Everything's a bit dry though, isn't it? Look it at is. Those photos, yeah. Haven't had it's much just surprising rain. given, really, like we've, well, we've had a shitload here. Nah, not too much here. We keep missing, keeps missing us. And then um, Sunday, jogged an hour with the boys, with uh, Glenn and Archie for their long run, and then I changed shoes, put the new alphas on just to break them in, and then just did a um, bit of a fart leg, 36-minute fart leg. Started with 10 minutes, then did 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and 5 at the end with a uh, one-minute jog between. I just worked through some different gears, started at 3.14 pace, and then went down to a bit under 3-minute K pace, and then, um, yeah, back to kind of like threshold 305 pace for the last five minutes which was nice and that was 164k for the week two weeks to go starting to get excited can't get any fitter now just got to get to the start line yes that's that's true you can butcher it though can't you you can can get get really tired in these last two weeks if you overdo it so um yeah i'm really excited looking forward to the opportunity to race hope we get some good weather but understand we most likely won't cannot wait to be like i haven't raced a marathon for nearly three years so can't mm. wait to get back on the start line and um you ever yeah. raced a marathon have i ever raced one i've raced, yeah, raced like, a couple raced of 30 k's 35 k's mm. but yeah jogged, no no jogged I, a bit. like have you been out the front contending for a win in a marathon before um no i think melbourne's probably my best result when i was like sixth or seventh there oh yeah that's close enough to race it oh different well you're 10 15 minutes behind though Where'd you, I, come in the, where'd you come in the um, Japanese one that you went over with yeah, Lardy? I think like 12th or 15th. Okay. But same thing, yeah, that was, there was a whole lot of guys running like 210 to 11 that day, and I was like 10 minutes behind, but you know, there wasn't many people in between us. Yeah, yeah I'd never, um, yeah, never been at the pointy end of one. It's a different experience when you are actually focusing on beating people rather than just mm. running as fast as you can. It's, it's so much more fun, and yeah, because it's a marathon... You're not sort of stringing yourself out early. Like, there's there's more things to think about. The race goes quicker, and yeah, I I, I think you'll like it. I think that second pack will feel like it's a race, yeah. Rather rather than um like you'll go you'll forget Brett and and Tom up the road a bit. I think and and you guys will just all all be racing each other, and and that will be good for all of you. Yeah, that's what I'm really expecting, like a big second group to form and just be like, try to beat all these guys to the finish line. And a lot of the mm. ones like I've done, actually all of the ones I've done, you've just been watch gazing. Like, what's the 5K yeah. split? Good. What's the next K? Okay, it's 318. That means we need to hit, you know, 930 through, or 9, 956 through, um, 
you know, 3K. Like, it's always been about break 220, and then what do your splits have to be? And you just, yeah, it's like feels like a time trial with people around. But this time, especially if it's bad weather, just like, hey, don't worry about your watch. Beat as many of these guys as you can. Yeah. And it's a pretty good sub-elite field. Like, we'll talk about it more next week when we get official um, and on the live stream on Sunday. But it's going to be a good pack. Yeah, I think it will be. And even up front, you don't know what's going to happen. Like, Mm, Someone could detonate. Someone could pull out. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you're racing for fourth or something, the winner of that second pack. Or fifth and or something like that. If conditions are bad, then it could just be one pack up front. Hmm. Yeah, well, ask Brett about that on Sunday, like what his plans are. But yeah, yeah, it could just be a race for everyone. Anyway, that was my week, fellas. Brad, you want to go next now? Yeah, all right. I'll go. Uh, so Monday, I ran with uh, Rory Hunter. So I had the Sunday off. Um, so, and because I had a bit of a crook back but um yeah got out and felt okay he um he did 8k i did a couple of extra because he's uh, he had surgery actually like maybe three weeks ago they um took out a bit of tendon down around his sort of ankle area um but it was obviously like a pretty like one of those surgeries that you can come back from relatively quickly so yeah he did 8k i did 10k at 415s um and then tuesday headed out to stromlo for a session which was 10 by one minute one minute float um i put because the strong at the moment is pretty soft with all the rain plus they're um they're doing something to the surface so like a couple of weeks ago there were heaps of sort of ruts um where they've obviously put some sort of machine through it and then on tuesday there was a heap of sand on it um so i ended up wearing for this session um the streak lt3s like, like this, but yeah, you know, moves like there's basically yeah. nothing. There's nothing of that shoe, but I thought on the grass it would actually be quite good. Um, and yeah, because I've only worn them like once before for a park run back in like 2017. Uh, yeah, so what I enjoyed about this session was I did it around the 2k loop, which has a few sort of undulations to it. And so everybody that I was training with at the start, I said, look, don't even bother worrying about pace for this because, you know, it's sort of irrelevant because one rep you're going to be running down a hill, the next rep you're going to be running up. So just do it purely to, to effort, which is what I did. I, I didn't actually look at my watch once in terms of just to see what pace I was running at. Um, didn't feel super smooth, um, but strength-wise, like, it was good. Like, I, I got through... I was seven seconds short of uh, three laps, which would be 6K. So I just finished it off. Um, so, yeah, it took me like 20 minutes and seven seconds to run the 6K, um, which is pretty good on the grass and the hills and doing it as a fartlek. Um, so I was yeah, quite encouraged by that session, even though it didn't feel amazing. Uh, Wednesday, got out for my midweek long run, uh, 21.1K at 409s. Um, yeah, it was this was your hot day braid it was it wasn't too bad oh here it says it was 18 degrees and 80 percent humidity but yeah 18 I, and 21 whole different story I once it gets felt, over 19 it's pretty hot <laughs> i felt okay higher humidity but i wasn't uh also wasn't doing a session it was just a just a run um and then the weather turned wind, though? wind one meter per second what's that even mean how come it doesn't say k's per hour well, if you click into it, because I've got two different oh, yeah. weather yeah, apps, so six six k an hour. Yeah, nothing. Said, so, yeah, um, yeah, and then the weather turned. So we pretty much had rain then Thursday, Friday, uh, and Saturday. So Thursday, I just jumped on the treadmill, 
um, for a very easy, what did I do, 50, where is it? Yeah, 51 minutes, 11K, so 4.38s. And then did a session on the Friday on the treadmill, which this is by far the best I've felt uh, doing a session on the treadmill since I've had it. And I think it was largely because of a few, like having a few pace changes in there. It just sort of, one, it took my mind off doing a straight 30 minutes at the one pace, but also doing something a bit quicker than my normal tempo pace would mean that when I dropped it back to my tempo pace, it sort of felt really comfortable. So the session was three sets of seven minutes at 17K an hour. And then I pumped it up for two and a half minutes between 18 and a half and 19K an hour. And then gave myself 90 seconds jog at 14K an hour and just repeated that. I was going to initially give myself a couple of minutes jog after the hard two and a half minutes. But after about a minute, I felt pretty recovered. So I just, I kept it at 90 seconds. Um, yeah, so that ended up being like pretty much nine, just over 9K in 31 and a half minutes. And I felt like really, really comfortable, especially once I got up to 18 and a half, 19K and then had my minute 30 recovery. And then when I went back to 17K an hour, I felt like just, yeah, super comfortable. Uh, could have easily done another, another set of that. Uh, I think I averaged... Average 160 heart rate for that session, so uh, that's good. And hey, then, you reckon in future, just a bit of a rule for Strava, just get rid of this kilometer per hour stuff and put what pace that is in there. Uh, yeah, mm. this yeah, means good nothing. You, to Brady. Me. This means nothing. It's like a different good language on Strava. Croaks. Well, relevant, isn't it? Isn't it like get rid of it? Or don't All right, well, it. I'll change it. So I guess it was seven, seven minutes, minutes at what at three thirties. Yep. And then for the first two, for the first two and a half minute hard. I did the whole lot at 18 and a half K now, which is about three fifteens. Yep. Um, for the second set, I did half of that rep at 18 and a half and then the other half at 19 K and 19 K is like three, no, nine, three ten. And then for the last set, I did the whole two and a half at three tens. Um, yeah. So that's what it was. And then my jog was about four, four fifteen pace. Yeah. But then is, that better? is it, yeah, that is better. I would have preferred that in Strava. But yep. um, is it really like you know treadmills are a bit dodgy? Uh, well, up until well every week that I've jumped on here, I've I've felt like outside. Like if I'd run, well we look at the day before where I ran like eleven k at four thirty eight. Like four thirty eight for me outside is like, you know, I've never run that pace. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I reckon it's fairly. I, I did I did wear the next percent for this session, so it made things feel a fair bit easier as well. I think. Yes, you got this heart rate data there as well. Yeah, that's the most relevant thing here. Yeah, which I think the heart rate data was good. It was, um, you know, I was sitting around that low, low one sixties for the um, for the three thirty k running, and then pumped up to sort of higher higher one sixties for the hard two and a half minutes, which is you know probably about where it should have been if I was yeah. running outside. Mm. Uh, Saturday morning, because we'd had so much rain, I decided to give Mulligans a miss, so I just ran from home. Uh, down to Yerriby Pond and back and it was actually quite enjoyable it was like 10 degrees which like for, for the 27th of November is just unheard of um, and we had a nice southerly wind so normally what I hate about this run is coming back from Yerriby Pond is uphill and it's generally always into a pretty strong headwind because it's like a northwesterly but then having having the southerly is ideal for this run because you run down the hill into the headwind and then when you when you head back up yeah, nice sort of tailwind. So I uh, did an hour at 4.12s, 
And then Sunday, I decided not to go to Mulligans again just because I'm sort of, oh, it'll still be really wet. So I went to Lake Burley Griffin. Um, I did about 30, I did 8K before I met Rob because um, he was only doing 90 minutes. So yeah, I did that. I uh, ended up doing just over 30K in two hours and three minutes, 404s. Um, for a week of 121k, so it was like a good week. Like I got two sessions in, um, a longer midweek run, a longer Sunday run, and um, yeah, like I think 120 with no doubles is is a pretty good week. Going to be close to the race to be running that hard and long. Still on my gauge first. This is when I usually drop one in. It was my race. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a solid race effort on Sunday. Yeah. Yeah, I paced, it, I paced it well. I was able to run. I think my last, I was quickest. Last five k was my quickest. So that's how you run. That's how you run a marathon, Brady. Yeah, that's why we play in Crokes. Just get halfway up the shrine there and just bang, start ripping it out. <laughs> I was looking at your splits from BY the other day, actually doing a bit of Strava stalking. Oh yeah. Jeez, you come home strong that day. Yeah. Come yeah. You were you only like that's... aiming for some two twenty, like fifteen twenty k in. Yeah, and that's where I think oh, it's like twenty five k, and I went. Like I'd almost have to, like jog to not break two twenty. Oh, so then I like, well, like it got that. Like I, I'd banked that much time, and I was still feeling so strong that I think between thirty and thirty-five, I just went, all right, let's just, let's just, you know, not be too greedy. And if you've got anything left at the end, I can push the last couple of k. Which, um, yeah, I think my last two k was like the quickest of my race. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wasn't it like the seventeenth quickest of the field or something like that? I remember you pulling facts oh, out like that stats. No, I was like third fastest. That's right, yeah. Yeah. It's pretty impressive. Moose, saw some photos of Angle C, but that was about it. What have you been doing? Uh, 90K for the week, or, or was it more? Maybe 92K for the week. Yeah, about 91, actually, so details. But had a run on Monday, so I ran every day this week, got rid of the full rest day and back to 30 minutes, gentle. On the Monday... Uh, Tuesday morning, had an early workout, so started the, the workout at 6 a.m. I had 20-minute threshold, so I went um, on the side of the river for a little bit, uh, and it was, and then I went around the caravan park for a few laps. So caravan park, pretty flat, 1K loop, got a few speed humps in there, which is annoying, but nice little spot to do a workout. Um, average heart rate was 166. And then it did jump as I went up to a couple of hills, and but then it flattened again. So I made sure it wasn't too hard. It was supposed to be a sub-threshold run, so I wasn't actually supposed to reach the threshold, but I probably did a, a couple of times. Um, average 324 for that one. So that was pretty good. Whatever, it didn't really matter too much. I did feel like I was tired on this run. Pia wakes up pretty early every morning now probably awake at 5 a.m most mornings so and i think i just just probably about a month of that accumulating I, I i got really tired this week and then also waking up and and running off to ballarat that day next day ran with Watto. this was a this was a shit run this was super high heart rate 40 minutes slow pace and i just felt like garbage and Running next to Watto, who was obviously feeling all right, it's just, it's just, you know, I'm just dragging him back, saying I got to slow down a bit. My heart rate's at 155, and we're jogging. It's, it's too high. So he was probably sick of me by by the end of that run. Um, 
and then I started to feel a little better. So yeah, the next day ran an hour around Anglesey, got those pitches up, uh, and then had a workout Friday morning. So my workout was, um, on paper, a bit different to what I did. I joined Lockie Doak for 8K of his um, 14K tempo. So we went on the loop around Anglesey River that we've been doing. He came down and did that. So his his plan was to run 330s to 335s, and I've run 8K with him. Uh, again, I didn't feel great during this run, this this 8K section. Like I, I definitely could have kept going, but there were there were points in it where I'm like, this is feeling a bit hard for a 330 pace. And I know I'm not fit or anything, but it's, when he he was pretty comfortable next to me, um, and when you're the when you're the party, when you're the one of two who's sort of not feeling as good, it does make it feel worse. If there's a third person there, you would hope that you would be feeling a little better, and then it would be okay. But um, in the end, got 8K done and then jogged for two and a half minutes and did, I did six by 30 seconds on, 60 seconds jog. So just did some strides, basically, 30-second strides and felt real unco doing that. I haven't been doing drills or strides, so I've got to start doing them because my um, my coordination's well off when I go faster than like 3.10 pace. And I think that's strides will help with that. Uh, Saturday, I ran with uh, a couple of guys around Anglesey, 45 minutes just jogging. And then on Sunday, got out, felt great actually. Sunday was like the, the first time this whole build that I've just felt really good. So it was 90 minutes. We had a pretty hilly one. We went up and around the back of Anglesey, down some dirt roads, uh, around the back of the coal mine. And yeah, there was it was a beautiful day. So it was pretty warm. Um, and we we sort of got going on a few of the hills, and it was the first it was the first hint of anything competitive that I've had for for a while now, like probably for four five months worth, or maybe even more. So I was um, I, I probably got a little carried away on some of the hills <laughs> when when the boys started to move. I, I I wanted to go with them and. And then we did go hard up a few hills, but it wasn't too bad. In the end, 21K. No, I actually did 22K because I stopped my watch wrong. 422 average and um, a good week. So 91K. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's going to be a good week. Um, I was thinking maybe you two could race each other in a couple of weeks. We look at the calendar. Like your comeback that, race could be through Brad's comeback race. How um, do you figure that we should run well, together? I just think like you're only getting fitter every week. Croak's motivation to race is pretty low, but if he's got a head-to-head against you and he's kind of got the advantage that he hasn't come off a surgery, but he's also a bit of... That's five years of building mileage and doing workouts. Which does make him a bit of a sitting duck to be taken down by you. And you're the one with the Australian singlet hanging in your (laughs) your wardrobe. Like, it could be... Like, maybe we pick something out, like mid... Maybe run the bridge down in, maybe Tassie, 10K? End of Jan? Something like that? Two months? Yeah, I, look, I'm you're, not... You're good on the hills. You said you like getting competitive on hills. It's a hilly course. On a, on a Sunday, it's different to a race. Brad knows that. But you sound like you're panicking. I thought you were the big guy. Uh, I, I, my motivation would certainly increase mm. if Moose was to wear his Australian kit in the race. Oh, that's well, asking I, a bit too much. What other... No, I, what like, other, I like what that. 
I haven't raced since 2019. That's what I was lining up. <laughs> I wear the blazer down to the start line. Wear it on the aeroplane. I, I don't think we've got a blazer, to be honest. <laughs> New South Wales 5K. Okay. Oh, when's that? When's that? Uh, February. Oh, that's more likely. I'm thinking oh, longer, though. No, we what are about old, the Bendigo yeah. 5K Frenzy? That's in Feb. Real low-key event. Yeah, well, no, let's go longer. I'll pick, I would rather pick a half marathon or something. Okay. Can Come we? down Great Ocean Road. Great Ocean Road. I think like May or something, though, isn't it? It's a long yeah, time. Perfect time. It's a long perfect time to pack. But, uh, I'd probably be, I'd probably pick Canberra Marathon before Great Ocean Road. Imagine two big dogs like you on the start line at Canberra Marathon. What about um, Run for the Kids in Melbourne? March, April, isn't it? Very good one, fourteen k mm, in between distance croak, not croaks, not too I love long. That. Not too long. Gungal and Park Run, hilly. I'm being serious here, Brad. Uh, okay. Run for the kids, always a great kids. field. Pencil Prestigious. Yeah, I got that. You can get in and out of Melbourne in one afternoon, or like fly down that Arvo, get 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 going at lunchtime. April, isn't it? Easter, oh, Easter Monday. Yeah. It's about. It's always one week. Before or after the Geelong half? Isn't it when they Cameron do the Marathon's, Good Friday appeal? Canberra yeah, Marathon's true. 10th of April, I think. Something like that. Are you pretty serious you're going to do Canberra Marathon? Uh, well, it's probably about as serious as any race. Yeah, like just because it's it's like here and, you know, um, it'd be good to, I guess, try and win it maybe. Like it obviously depends who else turns up, but... Me and, um, you, me and you, Brad. <laughs> yeah. The time, well, <laughs> then I'll end up just jogging it in. I can't win. <laughs> um, yeah, but the time I ran in 2017, uh, which was before any super shoe would have won it this year. Um, so, yeah, I guess it's, you know, you never know. And I finished third that year. So we'll see. Like, I, I want to, yeah, maybe, maybe do like a, a track race early in the year and then look at maybe doing a marathon doing that one maybe who knows okay we'll see. we didn't get a no though there's a there's an opening there you two head to head maybe i'm down the beach croaks one of those beach races moose dust goes go down there for a week oh i don't no they're my just no i need oh. a cheap win i need some cheap confidence builders yeah i'm not going down there over christmas New stay Year. away stay <laughs> away from the coast <laughs> all right let's thank some patreon supporters do you want to kick us off bradley uh, yep, I've got Isaac McMahon this week. Uh, Isaac lives in Geelong, and we found out that he ran a 17.30 park run, which we believe was at Geelong. Um, he's also run 40.19 for 10K, uh, looks to do a few triathlons, and has a four-hour 55 half Ironman next to his name. Uh, Brady reckons you look like a bit of a loose unit. Um, also did a little bit of digging, and... Isaac mustn't think Moose is a big dog of Geelong because um, Isaac follows both Brady and I on Strava, but not not Moose. So I did have you see pi- that. Have you, have you have you pissed him off, Moose? Hey, he's short sighted. He only looks at the like the top ten, not the top top <laughs> podiums. He only, I thought he you looked... might have coached him, Croaks, because I saw. I didn't know he followed me. I just saw the only followed you. Didn't follow Julian. Yeah, no, I, I looked at that as well. So because I saw that he just followed you, and then yeah. I. Dug a bit deeper. I'm like, well, yeah, follows me and um, no moose. Intimidated. I think that's what the word is. Intimidated. <laughs> but uh, thanks. Yeah, thanks for your support, Isaac. The king of Geelong down there, Isaac. Good on you, Isaac. Moose, who are you thinking? 
Well, I'm thanking a guy called Josh Lunn. So you may have heard of Josh's name pop up before because um, he's, he's a host, or I'm not sure whether you would call him a host. He seems to do very little on the Inside Jogging podcast, which is just a carbon copy replica of our podcast, but with disgusting British accents. Uh, he, he's actually an okay runner. And I like, like the bit I like about Josh is he's come from, he's a late starter, I think. He's sort of, he's a bit of a hack and then he got better and better and better. So he's not like this talented junior. He's run 8.36 for 3, 3K, 14.43 for 5K, 29.44 for 10, 64.25 for a half and 2.17.59 at London in the COVID race, which was... Uh, last year when that that loop course mm. so we let's pick a time out that 2944 is probably the standout to me of that bunch what do you oh, guys think i'm oh, in the 64 25 his short yeah. distance is not real good is it doesn't convert no, like, he's, he's definitely average, a strength runner i reckon that's though potentially his late start sort of just no didn't do there. much of the shorter stuff and sort of i think the later you start often the more you just move up into the longer distances earlier yeah, he's he doesn't seem the smartest of cats, old Josh. When you are when you listen to him on the podcast, just doesn't quite understand training very well. I know that the other boys they seem to get quite frustrated with him because um, he's got some ideas in his head that aren't re- like don't doesn't make a lot of sense to other people. Uh, runs for Cardiff, doesn't wear socks with next percent like crazy, and plays the Trum. Tromboner in his spare time. <laughs> yeah, very good. Now I'm just going through his Instagram. There's some very average content in this, especially early days. Um, going back a few years now, it's not a pretty sight. His Instagram thread or feed or whatever you call we'll it. Link yeah. it in the show notes, Ross. You can put that in there. Yeah. I'm going to thank Josh, thanks Isaac, and I'm going to thank Robert Ford from Gracemere in Queensland. Um, Robert keeps things very tight. Think I found his profile on Strava, but like no data, not even a display photo. Um, maybe he's a regular at the Cow Pasture Reserve Park Run and possibly ran New York Marathon in 4 hours 24 minutes in 2019. May have also ran Chicago, London and Berlin, but I'm really pulling at straws here. I'm not sure if that's the same. Robert Ford, obviously a pretty common name when you type into the internet. So Robert, hopefully I've got something right there. And a massive thank you to you for your Patreon support and all the legends over there on patreon.com forward slash inside running podcast. If this show brings you value, you can support us and uh, help it coming out each and every week. Runner news, fellas. Thanks, guys. Which state do you want to go to first? Because there was big races in Victoria, New South Wales and South Australia. We might start in South Victoria. Australia. Okay. South Australia. Go to the top one. That was the best race. Did you what? Was there any footage? I don't know if there was a live stream. Uh, just but Instagrams. The... Just Instagram stuff. Instagram lives. Um, it was. Do you want to talk about it? The results are in your colour. You want to read them out? Yeah. Okay. So in the... Um, in the la... Oh, where'd they go? Where'd they go? South oh, there they um, Yep. So in the ladies. Yeah. The ladies. Very solid top three. So Izzy Bat Doyle. Ran 15.41.29 to win, convincingly, really, eight seconds over Caitlin Adams from Hills Athletic Club. 
and Jess Stenson was third in 15.52, so three seconds back from Caitlin. But that is a big trio. Um, Izzy's got another one up on Caitlin. Big rivalry going on there. I think she did it all in the last 600 as well. I think Jess oh, led really? early, Caitlin led through the middle, and Izzy just sat at the back, and then with 600 metres to go, went bang. Real kick get finish the, kind of thing. Get the paycheck over there. Yeah, cash in. 5K champs. You reckon any money up for that? Don't know. Maybe bonuses. Maybe, Maybe bonuses on the contract. Oh, um, yeah. in, Solid for Jess, though, off the marathon. 15.52. What's that, like a month later, is it? Yeah, like it's a quick turnaround to be that yeah. close to girls that have been doing shorter stuff. Yeah. Gee, how good's the... Um, go back and listen to that every once in a while, I reckon. You know how some people go back and listen to our interviews and, mm. and pick up things and go, oh, I listened to Mona again and took something away, or Crichton, Sean Crichton's interview. I think Christian's at 500 of the Crichton interview. Yeah, Christian just really giving that a play. But Jess is the same one. I reckon people you go back You love that one. You always, I do love it. Yeah. I changed my whole thing over the Jess Stenson. I'm like, I, I, see, I see a lot of... Um, like where Jess is at is where I'm at, like with with the kid and coming back from an injury, like, and um, and just having success, like not on the traditional path. I like said that I said that when um I said it in an interview the other day that you wouldn't have been able to do that interview and you probably wouldn't have thought the same way though if you weren't a dad now. You know yeah, well, I, mean? I probably would have, would have yeah. skimmed over stuff a bit more and just sort of. I wouldn't have respected it as much. That's that's probably it. Yeah. Like I, I would have probably taken the opinion. I'm like, oh, well, you're either a professional athlete or you're not. Yeah. Like, if you want to be a professional, then the training has to be the thing that you do. And and now I'm like, well, you can't really do that. Well, the thing I took, yeah, the thing I took away from it was like we just get so hung up on if you want to run a good marathon, you need to run a, a heap of miles and that's the only way to do it. And she proved that, you know, cross training can play a massive part and you don't necessarily need to run massive miles to run a good marathon. Yeah. We're obsessed with running doubles, aren't we? Everyone's yeah. got to run doubles and, and there's a few people now sort of proving that you don't have to run double run. I mean, even Charlotte Purdue, if you listen to her interview and yeah. how she achieved what she did, one? Yeah, that was yeah. one of them, and and I think I listened to something somewhere else, and and she's she's doing she's training safely in her words. She's she's not taking risks, so instead of doubles, she might jump on and do an elliptical or or a bike ride and go for a long bike ride, and the the result that she had. There is something about it though, if you've got years and years of training behind you. Like I heard mm. Chris Thompson on the uh, single malt marathoners podcast, he was talking about like. He can do 120, 130K weeks now, and they're 160K weeks because he's got all these years of Ks behind him. Well, is he cross-training too? I think, I'm not sure if he was doing cross-training, but he just pretty much said like he looks at a 100-mile week now as the same as 120Ks because he's like, I know I've got all those years of Ks behind me. I don't need yeah. to be doing 100-mile weeks anymore. Yep. And that'd be the same with Purdue and Jess as well, I think. like They've, they've yeah. done years of training. They put the, put the time in early and... Um, obviously, it's like you both run PBs. That's um, and and incredible PBs all too. All three of them ran PBs. Yeah, that's yeah. That's what we're just talking about. You look at Charlotte's running two twenty three. She ran, and that's like a big. Well, for me, like her running that, I I, I was. I mean, it, you watch her run, and her gait just doesn't seem like efficient, but it clearly is, and. Um, yeah, it just blows me away that that time and 
and obviously Jess. So anyway. Did you um, find, oh, just on that though, did you, the training talk, did you find it interesting that they started cutting back like, I think in that interview that like Aaron might have asked her, like, do you still do your four by 5K or whatever it is? But she's like, no, no, we just do three now. Or instead of like, they were just cutting workouts a bit shorter as well. Well, I, I think that was just a safety thing mm, get to, to, to keep her from exactly like she's she's had so many injuries and even skipping European cross for mm. a, a, a winter of work of, of just training. Um, it seems like she just had too many missed races and obviously that affects people like pretty strongly and affects your career. So like take it back and like, I mean, same sort of points Brad was making to Michael Roger. Do you need to do that extra 20 minutes on the workout? You probably don't. Mm. Yeah, you, you're probably better off canning really that extra 20 minutes or that extra five seconds of cave and, and just banking that and then coming out stronger the next week. Yeah. Yep. Uh, men's race, this was quick. Yeah, the men's. This was fast. And this this looked like a banger of a race too because there was a pack, just like the ladies' race. Um, and it seemed like they broke up late as well so matt clark he won and and he's won considerably as well so 1340 to isaac hayne who ran 1344 and max stevens who i think did a bit of the work early he ran 1351 mm-hmm. so three guys under 14 minutes in south australia uh pretty pretty good all yeah. asics asics sponsored athletes they're wearing the the new legal racing flat um well actually the women as well were, yeah, they're, all, they're all in that too that's interesting like obviously asics has south australia sewn up um like it's pretty hard to put it to the shoe when they're all actually athletes yeah. asics athletes um if you went and did that like in melbourne and mtc rocked up it's all nike yeah yeah but, south, south australia though like the the last i don't know if, five to ten years like their their growth at the top end has been so impressive like like back when i was two to five years back when i was first competing like you'd always have maybe like one one or two decent runners out of south australia but that was it um but now it's like you know they're they're a powerhouse in in the nation um you know if you'll you know what got three guys you know, under 1350 or faster, like that doesn't happen very often to state champs. No. Well, c- consider this though, like this is a, this has to be a big part played by Adam Diddick, who is the coach of Team Tempo. When you look at those six athletes, he's coached all of them at one point mm-hmm. um, and he coaches five of them right now. Or does he coach Isaac Hayne? I think he does. Yeah, he coaches so, Isaac. Yeah, yeah, so that's five, that's five yeah. of the top six athletes as well as one who he, who he used to coach, um, as well as when you look at, the, like, say, Riley Cox, who he used to coach, and um, that's yeah. that's a big deal over there. He's turned the culture of, of South Australian yeah. running around. Obviously, he's turned it into a high-performance environment um, with pretty much, like, Adrian Potter is, is maybe the athlete that he was is in not course. in that group. Yeah, yeah but... Just in 14 minutes. Yeah, so that's it's it's a good place, South Australian running. Yeah, you're right. Before he got there, and after, like, and compared to now, he's had significant impact. Yep. Yeah. 
Um, For sure. Take you to Vic Myler's club. I'll talk through the 3K first. These events were later in the night, but they're the ones I watched. They had a big turnout, 3K and 1,500 metres on there. Box Hill Thursday night had 418 athletes go around there. Uh, the women's 3K went out pretty slow, kind of jogged early, 3.18 through the first K. And it was uh, Sarah Klein and uh, Des. Not sure her. Oh, Clara Des. Clara Des. She actually, she's from Anglesey. Oh, is she? Yeah. They yeah. were doing the work off the front there. I'd never heard of Clara before, but you might be able to tell me a bit more. They kind of gapped the whole field. And Abby Caldwell was just kind of like jogging back in the pack. Um, she'd already won the fifteen hundred, no, the 800 metres earlier that night. And then she just pulled him in. She kind of played games with him a bit, pulled him in with 800 metres to go went straight past them and uh, finished in a 69-second lap to win in 9.39. Clara was second in 9.43. And Daisy Sudholz was third. She came through really quick as well. Solid last 200 metres in 9.44. In the men's, pretty interesting race here. There were a couple of the old fellas up the front, like Andre Waring, Zach Patterson, Liam Cashin, Tom Thorpe. Names we've talked about a lot on this show over the years. But there was also this mix of like these junior kids well, I'd never heard of half of them. Um, I swear one of the kids looked like he was about 13 and a half years old and he's just rubbing shoulders with these names that we talk about pretty regularly. They kind of went pretty hard early. Cashin went off the front, but the other two boys and the rest of the pack kind of sat back. Then they pulled him in and then the young fellas went to work with about 800 metres to go and just got dropped when um, Patterson put in a big move with a lap to go. Waring stuck with him and then went past him in the home straight. 8.04 for Waring, Patterson second in 8.05, Liam Cashin third in 8.08. They had 16 men, though, under 8.20. So um, a very deep race there. I like mm. what Vic Miles Club are doing. They've got this, um, they got this, like, 500-buck bonus if you break, like, the race records. So, like, um, Ben Buckingham has a race record of 7.57, so I reckon that's why Cashin went out pretty hard, just thinking he might get himself 500 bucks if he beats that record. And, um, yeah, set the pace with a 2.42 first K. But good, keeps people, good stream quality. They're doing stuff right at Vic Miles Club. They've also got this dash for cash idea. Have you seen that, where they pick a random race? And if you win that random race of the night, you get prize money? <laughs> yeah, I saw that. That's cool, So they'll be just, like the E-Raid oh, 3K. You're the dash for the cash race. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Just a bit of love to the lower grades, maybe. Yeah, and there were a few uh, 800s as well, Moose. I didn't watch them. Did you? I've got the results Yeah, there. I watched the eight. Um, it was the little fella, Adam Pike. He's been around for years now. He ran 152, 57. He blasted away at the end from Jake Stevens, and third was Thomas Scroggy. Uh, but, yeah, Adam Pike, he's been he's been at national championships forever, I reckon, yeah. running the 15. and Pushing the pace a bit. Jake Stevens in second. He's the uh, TikTok guy. He goes like viral on TikTok. Have you seen any of his stuff? No, I don't have TikTok. Don't Are you allowed like, to have TikTok? I don't have it. I tried. I downloaded it, then I couldn't figure out what was going on and just deleted it. Someone told me like China take all your data and stuff. Don't they own it? I have no idea. I'm sure China but, owns the app and stuff. Oh, yeah. that's right. I actually had a mate who was like making a fortune phone. on there. No, he was in he was in America, and then Trump banned TikTok, mm. didn't he? Yeah, and he so. lost all his capacity to make money, and he's trying to get YouTube. He's trying to get it going on Instagram, but no one like no. I don't know. It's a different crowd or something. Is it still banned in the US? Oh, I don't know, but it, I I'm not on it, so I only see his Instagram ones, and he doesn't get as enough likes. He's his name's Tim Cannon. Go and have a listen. He's very <laughs> good. Yeah. Oh, I think I've shared a couple of things from. I think I saw this pop up on Instagram, and it 
yeah, you followed him. And I'm like, what's Moose doing following this guy? Yeah. So remember there was that one where they were making fun of how runners talk? So it was one guy drinking... It was one. It was one guy like playing two characters himself, and there was like talking about how runners talk to each other and stupid phrases they use, and it, it actually went viral like everywhere. And that was him on TikTok. Yeah. Well, Jake Stevens does same stuff. I think he does like running stuff. Ah, oh, yeah. all right. I'll... I think one of his videos hit like a million views or something. Shit. Because he runs with mattress down in um, down in the peninsula down there. How is mattress not the TikTok king? <laughs> he loves TikTok. making shit videos. <laughs> Matt, yeah, I think he's too old for that. I think he just sticks to YouTube. I'm trying right. to find it, but I'm not sure what he um what his name is or anything. Too old for this stuff. Anyway, anyway. tell us about the results of the women's 800. Oh, the women's 800. Yeah. So again, Abby Caldwell, she was a she was a class above at this meet. She looks very good when she runs. Abby Caldwell, 207.38. She ran second. Rebecca Green. 208 and third amy robinson from collingwood 212 but yeah it was really the amy caldwell show she um she came back and just toyed with a bit of cat and mouse in the in the 3k no one would have ever done that before would they one two that double Violet, Ma- yeah. oh, in one linden hall could have done it she'd be good enough to mm, do it maybe yeah 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 so good to watch that on the stream that night new south wales 10k champs croaks yeah no stream, so no no, I saw a few highlights uh, today on Facebook, but um, yeah, Ainsley Van Graan won the race. Um, we spoke about her at the New South Wales 3K, where she finished second in the race, but she won the um, New South Wales Championship. So she now holds the 3K and the 10,000 metre New South Wales Championship. She won in 34.29 uh, in front of her run crew teammate, Rosie Weber, who ran 35.07. Um, I've got a feeling Rosie might be running Melbourne Marathon. It might be her debut. Uh, and Newcastle Flyers, young gum uh, Jessica Noble was third in 35-17. Um, and then in the men's um, shoe geek host, Tommy DeCano, had a uh, convincing win, one in 29.09. So Kieran Tall uh, was there for the first couple of K, uh, and then Tommy was pretty much on his own the rest of the way. Um, Guy Walters from Newcastle Runners was second. Uh, he ran 29.15. 50, um, which was only five seconds off the Zadefect qualifier, um, and Scotty Westcott paced him to about 8K. So Scotty's, what, 40, mid-40s now, so um, going pretty well to, you know, still be running sort of 30-minute 10K pace for 8K of it. Uh, mm. And then Drew Fry was third from around with Botany in 30-35. So um, good last hit out for Tommy before um, Melbourne. Mm. And ended up a bit of a time trial, I think. I mean, I'm not sure when. I think it was pretty windy as well, which yeah. I know you hate talking about the, uh, the weather, but like I could hear the wind on, on the highlights that I, uh, that I saw. Disappointing. There wasn't a stream, wasn't it? Just cause like I was pumped to watch that. I actually like had it marked. Like yeah, I want to, so... I want to watch this race and uh, didn't, didn't get to watch it. Well, the track was pretty much, they had the issues with the lights. Um, so it was, like it was super dark. So it, all the footage you see, it was almost like half the track was lit, half of it was in, in darkness. Yeah. Was it, where was it too? It was like an hour was, out of Sydney. and No, nah, it was like near Sun, like sort of near the Shire. So just, yeah, just south, like around Illaw- Illawong area. Yeah, actually, I've never I've never run at that track before. 
I think you come to expect like really good quality streams from those guys too. So when there's not one, you're just like, oh, we've gone from like 10 out of 10 quality to like 0 out of 10, no option to watch what's happening. Um, pretty weak field though there, Croaks. And the men's wouldn't get that down in Victoria, I don't think. Second place, what, 29.45? Yeah, it's always been a bit... 10 days tracks 10... are hard, aren't they? Yeah, it's always a bit hit and miss who you get. Like, I think a lot of the time it's people try and just qualify for Zatapak. Like, you pretty much do one to qualify for Zatapak, then you do Zatapak. Um, yeah, but it's like it's never been a super deep event. Like, I think la- last year was probably the best they've had in a long time. Yeah. Remember? Yeah. I was there. Yeah. Yeah. Like, was that raining. was, yeah. That was obviously a bit. Where'd you, where'd you finish there? Oh, I don't know. Be lucky to be top 10, though. But I yeah. think, you know, this one probably, obviously, Benny Saint didn't start. Ed Goddard didn't start. Kieran Tall pulled out. You put those three yeah. names in it, and you go, okay, you've got potentially five guys breaking. 29 minutes yeah. on a good day. So it maybe looks worse than it is. And, and it's also a period where once everything started to open up again, like races have just exploded. You know, like there's well, New South Wales 10K this week. Yeah, there's a New South Wales 3K. Then there's this. There's the Sydney Harbour 10K. Some people are training for Melbourne. So there's a lot yeah. on. And, you know, a 10K track race does take a fair bit out of you. Um, yeah. Pretty good run by Guy, though. That was um, that's big PB for him, I reckon. First time yeah. on the Yep. Going to be a dad. You see that on social media the other day? No, as well? no, I didn't. Yeah, it's going to be a dad soon. Imagine that Who? bloke being a dad. Guy Walters. Uh, oh, I Walters. did see that. That Yeah, that was good. I've been a bit shocked guy. myself, too. <laughs> but yeah, it'll be interesting. Good, good dad, Guy Walters. Uh, listen to question, Bradley. All right. Uh, hi there. Love the show. I have a listener question and would be very grateful if you could advise me. I've estimated my max heart rate to be 175 based off some 5K races, but I never go remotely near it in training. In fact, I don't get into zone five at all. I wear a chest heart rate strap for all my runs. I'm a bit old, 43, and definitely a slow twitch type, but I'm fairly fit and do weekly speed work and tempos in addition to easy running. Is this something to be worried about or am I just not putting enough effort in? Many thanks. And that question comes in from Joe. Long time supporter Joe, you know the one that lives in Oman. Oh yeah, yeah. this is Joe. Yeah, yeah. Jeez, good this is yeah. yeah. It's an it, interesting one. I think to, I think we have to go back to the estimated max heart rate, firstly, and just go. I wonder if it's relevant anymore, or um, I wonder how accurate it was when we got it. Just because we have a strap on doesn't mean that it it's it's legit. Like often I've had weird spikes wearing a um, wearing a chest strap. Um, so it's, it's quite, it's, I mean, it's a difficult one to know for sure. Uh, I would just, I would answer the question by saying, no, don't be worried about it. Mm. Like you, you, you're doing your, your speed work, your tempos, your mileage, like that is, you're doing things right. And it's very, very rare that you'll find a runner who doesn't put enough effort in. I mean, speed work is, if you've got a speed work session, like a hill repeat or, or a fast say 200 to work out and it's it's pretty difficult not to put the effort in when you're basically just running as fast as you can up a hill um not a lot of not a lot of people can bail out of that yeah that's what i was going to add because she didn't say hill work though in her weekly kind of training said weekly speed work tempos and easy running so the only suggestion i was going to have is maybe do some hill reps put your heart rate strap on there and see if you get close to it because that's the workout to see it in yeah i think the fitty well like let's just 
take any type of science out of it for a second. Um, the fitter that I get, the harder it is for me to get up to my max heart rate. I, I find it more difficult. Um, now, do you know what your max heart rate is, though? No, I don't. Yeah, that's I don't know. How many elite sub elite runners do you think actually know their max heart rate? Yeah, probably not. Mm-hmm. Not many. I wouldn't have any um, idea what mine is. You would have to do like probably a ten-minute effort, go hard, maybe up on an uphill, or um, basically just progress it to where you flat out towards the end. Like, would, would a five k track race be a good time to put it on? That would have to be close to, wouldn't it? Yeah, pretty With much. Three k, it would. Yeah, three k yeah. is probably three to five k would be perfect. Yeah, yeah, but I don't think Joe. It's nothing that people um, use much in training and like pay attention to how close they're getting to their heart rate. So I don't think you should be worried about it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. What like that's just one metric that we're sort of looking at. If you, I guess it would depend too if your training's going well and you start and you're progressing as a runner or you're you're not regressing, then um, mm. that's probably a time to look into it. If things are just going pear shaped. Yeah, it definitely wouldn't be not putting enough effort in, especially if she's over there in the heat and she's been a patron supporter for a long time, so she's probably been doing consistent training for a long time. Yeah. And maybe and being thing, a bit under max is better than, like, striving well, to get to max and overcooking yourself. Well, well, like, I don't think, like, getting to max, your max heart rate in training is a great idea yeah. anyway. Yeah, it's like, nearly I, impossible, isn't I, it? I don't, I don't, well, if you do, it's going to be, you're not going to be doing much after it. Like, it's going to be the last rep of something. Um... Yeah, like I, I don't reckon I've hit my max heart rate in training for, for a long time um, because, you know, I always try and finish sessions knowing I could do a bit more because it's because it's sustainable. I reckon you might hit them on a few Sunday mornings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, not quite, but, yeah, close maybe. <laughs> Thanks for the question, Joe. All the best. Sorry, that was a tough one. I don't I, think we've yeah. got No, I think we said answer. don't stress about Joe. Just keep stringing your weeks together. Sounds like you're doing smart training. And of course, yeah, all distance runners put enough effort in. Sometimes we put too much effort in. Moose on the loose, purchase of the week. Moose um, of Strava. Oh, mate, I fucked up with a purchase. Oh, are we doing per- Okay, tell us about this, but surely there's a moose on the loose. There was a big one last what week. What was it? What I was, was it? I was going to put it in these notes here, but I'm like, no, well, don't, don't tell him I can't what to remember. Do. Come I can't on, you remember. can remember. Running news come in. Everyone just rolled. Well, I thought everyone rolled their eyes. Oh, Shelby Houlihan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Go fund me. Yes. I yeah. I mean, I messaged you boys about that one. You were fired up. Yeah. Oh, I was at work. Go for it, Craig. Go for it. Yeah. So we know Shelby Houlihan. Um, Wada banned her for four years. Um, there didn't doesn't seem to be any more appeals that she can make. And then um, she's got her own website. And on there's a link to a GoFundMe page. And what do you reckon she's, you know, what, 10 grand she wants to raise? No, nah, 300,000. 300,000 um, US. Yeah. and 300,000. That's just a yearly wage, I guess, she's going for. Like, look, there's there's some really good GoFundMe pages out there. And there's some people that are doing it really, really tough. But, like, if I look at, you know, Shelby Hoolhan versus somebody that's, you know, dying and, and can't afford to put food on their table for their family i know which one i'd be donating money to it just seems yeah, it's just oh. outrageous she's up to twelve thousand. Twelve thousand dollars. usd what happens if she doesn't 123 people yeah. does it all get given back 
Well, yeah, well, that's it. Like, what's she going to, like, what, what's she doing with the money? And you know, I just, yeah. Well, it's, it's the just, help of her appeal, isn't it? Yeah, but what? Legal fees. But she, can she Wouldn't appeal Nike be paying those? I thought it was done. Oh, she's got to go to the one in, in um, isn't it Swiss Arbitrary? Do you know what it's I, called? You know, yeah. like, yeah, you got to go there to yeah. the next appeal, arbitration. I think. arbitration. But, yeah. but if, if it was me, if I was in that situation and I'd been banned, like and I set up a GoFundMe page. I would be thinking about all of like I'd go onto the GoFundMe pages and just scroll through and and read what you're supporting, and just about every cause is is more valuable than this one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, like uh, you see you see yeah. those ones pop up on Facebook all the time. You know, like some you know somebody's been like out, out riding their bike yeah. and they've been cleaned up and you know the guy can't work for the next two years. Or he's in a coma, and it's like to support his family. Like, how do you compare these two? She's fighting to prove her innocence and is now turning to the Swiss Federal Tribunal to appeal and hopefully overturn the cash ruling. She's looking for financial support to help her with this process. The athlete has to pay a legal team, pay to have the case, pay for tests done from supplement and meat sources, analysis to hair sampling to lie detections, experts to testify in their defence, and more. Hmm. Yeah. Not, oh, sorry, not only this, but if she wins the Swiss appeals case, she will then have to restart the entire CAS process again and she will be granted another opportunity to prove her innocence. So if she Ooh. wins the appeal, they go back to the start. So that's why she needs 300000 <laughs> By that stage, her ban will be ended. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She'll be racing again. Nah, it's time to get a job, I reckon, Shelby. I'm She's got a website, clearshelby.com, where you can read the full story. Yeah, that well, Noah Drudy did it. He did the best tweet. That was the one I laughed about. That one, I can't think of it off the top of my head, but he called her out. It was pretty good. Yeah, Um, anyway, yeah, he did a couple of good ones, and there was others that sort of suggested other places to donate that might be more worthy. Yeah, Uh, but you have been spending money, Moose, not on your Shelby Hallahan GoFundMe. What have you been buying at a purchase? Well, Well, I bought a thing called a glide glider you guys got one of them in your house it's for the baby to sit in and um it's like a mechanical thing like the snoo it like rocks them back and forth and goes sideways but it it's not a sleep thing it's like a chill out thing because we're finding we're trying to eat dinner the baby needs to be like constantly rocked in its rocker for it not to, for it not to cry yeah because it's too dependent on the snoo so when it's not in the snoo you need to put it in something else you know what it, you know what it's called moose you, one of those old school bounces and you yeah. use your and you use your foot or to the, move it or the oh, the, that's that's the, the blue collar version the pedal would be a great idea but at the moment time. i'm doing it with my hand so i'm, I'm eating dinner one-handed and I've, i'm like there's someone's been in this position before and invented something for this and and so apparently one of them's called the mummaroo but I didn't get that one. I got another one called the um, no oh, fuck, I don't know what it's called. But it, she doesn't like it, so I got off marketplace, tried it for a couple of days, not stoked. Doesn't so, work. Uh, Put it back on marketplace. Off. You might want it, Brady. How, you might yeah, want it. How it. um, how long do you need the snoo for? How much longer you got with it? I don't know, actually. I don't know. I well, think it you... doesn't doesn't sound like it's doing a good job. Didn't you say at the start of the Fine show again. that you've been getting up pretty early and you haven't been getting enough sleep? Yeah, no, she's been sleeping through. She just wakes up. See, this is the thing. We've got nothing to compare it with. So well, I don't what know. What time like, does she go down? She's still pretty young. She goes down at like nine. And sleeps the whole way through to five. Yeah. That's pretty That's good. That's pretty course. good. Yeah. yeah. 
at that age. So there's no like nighttime wake ups. It's just early mornings, which I can handle. Yeah, especially um, if you're going to bed at like nine thirty. Yeah, yeah, which is pretty much it. Ten. Anyway, uh, so we got that for sale. If anyone's keen. <laughs> We've also, got, we've also got some merch for sale, Moose. We've got them oh, out Oh, yeah, early. today. Got today. Them out. Yep. Hey, I've got to say thanks to the lady for organising that. That was great. Um, yep, got them out. They're online, so they're on our Shopify site. The, uh, I don't know where the link is, but it's on our Shopify. And Vault Singlets, please read the description. They fit small. If you're normally a medium, you'll be a large. If you're normally large, you'll be an extra large. Smalls are for females and children or very small humans um but most of the time normal small wearers will be medium so yeah i'm a medium and i'm 57 58 kilos you are half midget like half midget half ripped uh, uh, what's like a really hairy little animal like a warm uh, battle in my face not so much hair anywhere else <laughs> still trying to get a bit of chest hair you know who you remind me of? Oh, here we go. Who? The, te- the teacher out of sex education. <laughs> that too, Bradley. <laughs> okay, yeah, but I Brad. actually thought of you, not Brad, when I saw the show. <laughs> he's the best on there. He's great. Have you got up to that um, scene yet where they go to France? No, no. I've just started episode three, season three. So he gets just on the started. bus. It's great. Okay. Uh, you enjoy that when it comes around. So merch is available. Did we sell many today, Moose? Because we've got express options if you want them for Melbourne. Ooh. Well, yeah, I don't know whether you – look, it's a safe bet, the express. Let me just refresh our website because I want to see how many we got left. Like they went – a fair few went. They're going now. People got home from work and they're just, um, just buying them. Even since we've been um, watching, actually. Wait, what's that? There's not many of them, so. No, nah, there's like single digits on everything left. Yeah. Yeah, so that's on there. We'll put the link in the show notes. A um, couple of options for postage if you want it quicker. This Friday, at no, Sunday at 5 p.m. Sunday, definitely Sunday. We've got the Melbourne Marathon live stream show. So it will be on our social media and the Melbourne Marathon social media. So this should be a bit of fun. I don't think we've done a live show for another organization before, fellas. We've just done them like independently on our own socials before. So we better be on our best behavior for the Melbourne Marathon socials. Um, Brad, you're going to be hosting this one. You've got the gig. Not yep. sure uh, why they listed your name first here. Is he really? Yeah, that's what Zach has yeah. put this in here. Tell Brad he's the host. So, oh, uh, because um, it's because we're going to make the show about Brady. So when Brady hosts, he doesn't talk about himself enough. So if I host, you'll talk about yourself more. Looking forward to it. He is one of the leading contenders for the race. A couple of big panel members in Brady Trailful and Julian Spence here, which should be good. A couple of special guests joining us, uh, Brett Robinson. The second favourite, I think Tom DeCano's got that title at the moment, doesn't he? Brett, I don't know how Brett would know it like, like that, but he will be going in second favourite behind Tom. Miriam Dowie will be joining us for a debut, the Tasmanian marathon, or about to be marathon runner, and the elite athlete coordinator, Tim Crosby, who's going to be talking about different pace groups. Um, he's going to be previewing the elite race, who's starting, who's not starting, any last-minute entries or scratchings, any of those kind of things, and uh, a few tips for first-time marathoners at a major event, which I'm sure will be different this time around, given the COVID protocols. So that is Friday, sorry, not Friday, Saturday. Don't know why I keep Sunday. 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 <laughs> this Sunday coming up. What's the date of it? The 5th of December? Yep, 5th of December, 5pm. Australian Eastern Standard Times. You'll be able to rewatch it if you can't make those times, but it'd be good to see some numbers there. Daylight um, saving time, Brady. 
Oh, yeah. Okay. Just whatever. <laughs> That's why Brad's hosting this thing. Because they're like, get the guy who can actually get this stuff right to host it. Uh, new side project as well. So Road to Nowhere. This is for Patreon supporters. You would have heard if you listen to Road to Nowhere over there that it was their final episode last week. A few people rode in. Um, they threw us under the bus a bit there. They made it sound like we cancelled them, cut them off, didn't want them back kind of thing. But that trio is currently unavailable. So they did their 10 episodes in season three. Um, currently unavailable. Not sure what will happen in the future. We'll see there. But we have been doing some work behind the scenes to try and come up with a new bonus show. And I think we've got a pretty good one in the works here, fellas. I don't think we're going to announce it yet, but I've got a couple of teasers. Mm. Is that all right? Yeah. Well, Happy if I on, tease it. On, on paper, it looks more credentialed than Road to Nowhere. Oh, definitely more credentialed. So the new panel, and we come up with a bit of a list. We probably had 10, 12 names on our hit list of people we'd love to put together for a show. And then we come up with our top three. And I don't know about you guys, but when we sent the proposal out, I was kind of thinking that maybe one of them wouldn't be keen. And if we could land maybe two of the three, it would work out all right. But we did end up landing three of the three. This is what they've achieved between them. So between the three of them, they've been to three Olympic Games. They've got three Commonwealth Games medals. They've got four World Championships appearances between them. They're all sponsored, but sponsored by a different brand. And they're all located in a different state in Australia. Mm. We've probably one of them known as the king of their state. The biggest name in running in their state. Oh, Which one? Uh, uh, Wait, are we seeing their names tonight or not? No, we're not. We're not. Gee, they could all hold that crown. They probably could. Oh, yeah, they probably could. They, they probably could. could. Yeah, they yeah, definitely one could. Of them could be, one of them's the queen. One of them could definitely, yeah, that queen. The queen of Australia or the queen of the state? You could probably, probably credentialed say she's the queen of her event in Australia. Yeah, I reckon, I reckon at, at, at any given time, one of these guys, well. Without giving it away, she kind of has that. Two of the guys have been kings of their state and the, the lady, the lady is a king, of, a queen of her state for sure. Um, and so the plan, Brady, is to maybe, what, introduce one per week up to Christmas and maybe get them on the show for 10 to 15 minutes and then start after Christmas? Just to bring them in cold, you reckon? Just have a bit of a chat to them and say maybe. welcome. Yeah, I reckon yeah. that could be good. Yeah. Get to know them a bit more. They've all been on the Inside Running podcast at one stage before, some of them more than once. And one of them, I would say, is the best talker in Australian distance running. So if I'm already just... on this one. <laughs> you got a second. You got the worldly knowledge, but this guy's got the bigger mouth. Um, <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> so if you're disappointed that Road to Nowhere is not here at the moment, and as I said, I'm not sure what's going to happen with the future over there, but do not think that I cut them. You don't have to write in having to go at me. Um, chill out because we've got something that I think is going to fill that spot pretty well. So uh, more news on that later. Anything else to add there, fellas? I nearly threw my phone in the river a couple of times when my phone was lighting up the last couple of days. Hmm. Um, no, I think you covered it well. We'll, um, I guess, maybe introduce the first person next week and we'll see if they're available for a chat. See if we can dial them in. Moose, this week's interview? This Well, yeah, we did a special edition, I guess. Alan McCubbin and Steph Gaskell, they've been on the show before, sports dietitian. They have their own podcast called The Long Munch. Um, they just did a interview with Andy Jones, who was 
the um, a physiologist from the breaking two project the first one so it goes into detail on that which is really good listen and then just threw a few questions at them around sports nutrition for endurance runners a few myths were popped a um, few little gems of advice were dished out for especially for the marathon this weekend next weekend. Oh, next weekend next weekend sorry but yeah good chat i thought um thought there was some valuable stuff in there like real clear simple advice is what rather than sort of you know the generic sort of oh, like it depends and real sort of wishy-washy stuff they were good they, they nailed it i reckon well you set the scene early and just said i don't want any answers that are, it depends i need specifics yeah so that was good um and i found myself there were a couple of times where i just had to like pause it and go back like 30 seconds i'm like hang on what was that calculation what was that formula what was that number i need to know when it comes to like carb loading or um how much you can hold and all those kind of things so if you're doing melbourne marathon in two weeks you're doing yourself a disservice if you don't listen to this to plan your carb intake your carb load your hydration you always you also speak about electrolytes in there as well so um this is the kind of info that you'd be paying pretty decent amount wouldn't you see one of these guys in person this kind of yeah. knowledge yeah. oh yeah this would be i mean bucks to get it now, done it? yeah be more than that yeah so um big thank you to alan and steph for their time they were on back episode 108 so if you want to listen to them originally on the show probably doesn't come up in the uh, itunes list or spotify one so you'd have to go to, to the Podbean one but that's it what's coming up croaks anything uh, no, pretty quiet week. I think school's pretty much done in terms of uh, my relief teaching. So summer holidays at your place. Summer holidays, yeah. Yep. No, pretty um, pretty quiet. Hang on, Bruce, what are you doing? Uh, oh, big week this week. Big week. Got a um, got to put all the orders in for second half of next year. They're all due right now. So do all the numbers on that. What Take are your sessions? What are your sessions this week, Moose? Oh yeah, I got one early tomorrow. Four by K at threshold, K float, and mm. so 8K, and then a progression run on Friday. Heart rate increases every 2K mm. uh, over 8K. So two 8K sessions, both that sort of threshold and below. And then on the progression run, I'll end up over threshold. Just no speed work at the moment. Body, just an old man. Just mm. can't handle it. It's risky. I'm doing 400s tomorrow on the track. Uh, not a good idea, Brad. No, nah, but I'm just no, nah, but I'm not going to. Uh, no, no, probably pro, endorphin pros, I reckon. Yeah, as long as yeah. you're not in spikes. But then also, there's a difference. Like back in the day, if you did ten of them off a minute, you'd be running like close to, like somewhere between fifteen hundred and three k pace. Whereas I, I probably go more towards like the three to five k pace. You know, you know, so they're not. You know, you're not getting super lactic doing it. Yeah. Anyway, that interview's coming up. Talk next week, fellas. I actually talk to you Sunday. Sunday, 5 p.m. See you then. See you guys. Two days in a row next week. Sunday, Monday, with you two boys. All right, we're done. Founded and formulated by professional athletes and leading accredited sports dietitians, Pillar Performance is bridging the gap between clinical medicine and sports supplementation. Australia's first sports micronutrition brand. Pillar's range is purposefully formulated to support joint health, recovery, energy production, and immunity. Pillar believes that optimal recovery and performance is more complex than just managing your macros, and arguably it's the micros or vitamins and minerals that are the true heavy hitters in performance nutrition. Purposefully formulated with elite outcomes in mind, 
Pillar uses only the best ingredients at a clinical dose to fuel peak performance. Pillar's opening range is led by Motion Armor, a first-to-market joint protection formulation and triple magnesium, an elite sports magnesium for optimum muscle recovery. Pillar has become the choice of Australian sport thanks to their elite formulations and batch testing program, currently working with Ben St. Lawrence, Izzy Bat-Doyle and Riley Cox, along with more than 24 sporting teams across the country. For more information on Pillar Performance and their range of sports micronutrition, head to www.pillarperformance.com.au. To score yourself a discount on any purchases via Pillar's website, use the code INSIDE10 for $10 off at checkout. Welcome to a special edition of the Inside Running Podcast. We have a couple of nutrition experts, uh, sports dietitians joining us today, Steph Gaskell and Alan McCubbin. Welcome back, guys. You've got you've done it before here. You're doing yeah. it again. I was going to say it's been a while, probably a couple of years, I reckon, since we were on the podcast. Yeah. I, you popped up in my Skype contact list, so I know we did it. But I, I can't fully remember it, but I know we did it. Yeah. And then um, we've been lucky enough to have you on our podcast too, Jules. That's right, and and I, I did I did sort of leave that out. But you guys are hosting the Long Munch, which just celebrates. Um, was it one year of recording and posting? Yeah, one yeah. year and the fiftieth episode. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And and I actually listened. Well, I listened to the interview that you guys did for that, and it was brilliant. So, uh, firstly, yeah, just we'll, we'll talk a little bit about it. You you guys had Andy Jones on mm-hmm. from the Breaking Two project, the very first one, 2017. Yeah. Sub two hour marathon. Now, how did you get Andy? Who was it that hooked that up? Um. I think you contacted him, Steph, but uh, academics are pretty easy to find. If you Google them, usually it comes up to a nice university thing, and the university is very nice to hand out everyone's email addresses hmm. and make them public generally. So it's usually pretty easy to get in touch. But um, you know, the academic community is a pretty small one. Um, we don't necessarily all know each other straight away, but usually we know someone who knows each other, so there's always sort of mutual acquaintances. Uh, and everyone's very um, supportive of each other and, and very happy to help out. So, yeah, I mean, Andy's done quite a few podcasts. Um, I think ours was a little bit different in terms of having a specific nutrition focus as opposed to more a physiology focus, which he's had on some of the other ones. Um, but, yeah, he was he was happy to chat too and he was lovely and, and we had a great time. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it was it was quite insightful because we've all well, most of us have probably seen the documentary, and to hear from somebody who is behind the scenes is pretty cool. Um, mm. We had Collis, who was one of the paces, lives in Ballarat, and so he gave us a bit of an insight from the athlete perspective as well, which was fun. Um, yeah. We did the, he did that on a live podcast down in Ballarat. Um, Steph, what was the most interesting takeaway that you had from the um, the interview you did with Andy about the project? Yeah, um, I think for for me, it's it was more so just in terms of they they intervened with with nutrition with all of the athletes, um, but they they didn't kind of overstep their mark either. Like they kind of they appreciated that hey, these guys are doing something right. Like they they've been running bloody fast, you know, marathons for a long period of time. 
Um, we already appreciate, you know, the, the certain strengths in their nutrition, particularly with Kenyan runners. They have a really carbohydrate-rich diet, which we already know that that's really good from a performance perspective. Um, so they intervened, but they didn't overstep the mark. Um, and then they also, you know, got the athletes to make sure that they had time to practice what they were actually changing. And then what was really nice to see was the athletes like Kipchoge and, and, and the athletes actually took that on board and they did practice it. Um, and then it was, it was individualized too, you know, so they didn't actually all have the same carbohydrate intake goal or fluid goal. Um, and they refined that as, as they went. Yeah. And Alan, anything sort of special that you picked up on? Yeah, well, I'm a bit of a physiology nerd. <laughs> he is so. more physiology nerd than me, probably like <laughs> um, you, Jules. Yeah, so so my pickup was more around the physiology side of things. And um, what's been really good, I think, out of this project is that that both Andy and, and the Nike team more broadly have actually published quite a lot of the data from this. I mean, obviously, it's de-identified, so you can't pick out who's Elliot and who's mm. Zerzane in, in the data. But they tested 16 people as part of the selection process and, um, it's really interesting to see some of the results out of that. And we didn't touch on it a lot in the podcast. We, we did a little bit. But, um, you know, as Andy said in the podcast, you know, their, their VO2 maxes weren't actually that extraordinary, which you would assume that they would have to be. Um, you know, the average in the, in the 16 people that they tested was only 71 mils per kilo per minute. Uh, and I think only one of them, when you look into the paper, was above 77. So, I mean, that's obviously high compared to the average punter. But for an elite athlete, you tend to think about, you know, high 70s and maybe even into the 80s, and that there was very few of those in that group. But what they were able to do to be able to sustain that kind of 21.1 Ks an hour pace was having such amazing running economy. So they were able to, you know, make the most out of the oxygen that they've got available to them to translate that into to pure speed. Yeah. Uh, and secondly, they were able to sustain a pace that was equivalent of about 92% of their VO2 max, which is almost unheard of. So the fact that they could operate that close to their VO2 max and just maintain that for a long period of time without, you know, a massive accumulation of lactate and all of fatigue and everything that goes along with that was, was pretty special. Um, I mean, that said, of the, the 16 athletes they tested, only seven were able to maintain a steady state at that two-hour marathon pace. So clearly, you know, the three that they chose would have been amongst those seven. Um, and then the final thing I, that I really enjoyed was was picking Andy's brains about how he could try and predict the finish times of the athletes. So I remember back in 2017, I, you know, I was already following him on Twitter at that stage, and he would put out, you know, sort of predictions of what he thought. And I think even in the documentary, you see him writing it on a little scrap of paper, and he pulls it out the day after, and he was only out by about 18 or 20 seconds or something like that for Kipchoge. Um, and he sort of ran through in the podcast that process of, of how he tries to calculate those times and, and predict them. Yeah. Yeah, I often I was wondering why they didn't select Kenanisa Bikili, considering like you would consider that he has to be one of the most economical athletes given his mm. um, track pedigree. Mm. Uh, I wonder if he was one of those 16 they tested. Yeah, I don't know. And I guess there may have been some guys in the Nike stable that just weren't available at that time because they were focusing on other things as well, potentially. Yeah. And one thing also, in order to be able to sort of be successful in an event like that, you need to be consistent and you need to be injury-free. So if you've got someone breaking down every few months, not mm. making start lines, sort of that 
sort of swingers, what do you call it, swingers chance or whatever, um, yeah. it's not, yeah, it would be hard to base a project on that, um, yeah, which sure. is kind of what Bikili is like. Mm. Um, so, yeah, the yeah. long munch, one one year down, that's that's pretty cool. Congrats on, on that. You've had some yeah, good guests, I'll listen. Yeah. Um, so similar to the last question, what's the – What's the most interesting takeaway that you've had, Steph, like over the course of that year? Mm. Oh, there's been a lot. Like I've gotten something out of out of everyone, um, really. Um, but I guess uh, one of the, the things, I guess, that still gets me is how common um, we talk about and recently, you know, relative energy deficiency in sport. Mm-hmm. Um and just how common that is amongst um, athletes um, and how, like, I, do, I think that there needs to be more done in terms of how we can try and manage that better and, and prevent it from happening. And I think that that perhaps needs to start happening more from a youth perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when we spoke to Izzy Bat Doyle and just about her experience when she went um when she went to the US um, and and that culture, um, and just talking to it to a you know and interacting with a large number of, of athletes, um, and um, how how much of an issue that is, um, yeah. yeah. And then and then when you can see the role that nutrition can play, you know, when we do get it right, so you know we've got big implications in terms of health and performance. Um, but then when we actually tackle it and, and start to make sure the athlete is getting an, in enough energy for what they're doing, um, what a big change that can make to both the health and performance. Um, so I, I, I think that's probably one of the most recent um, ones. Um, yep. uh, yeah. What, what about you, Alan? What's, uh, what's sort mm. of been the biggest shock or surprise that you've come across or the biggest lesson? Yeah, um, I think one of them was was one of our most recent podcasts, again, around relative energy deficiency in sport. We had Sophie Mackay on, who's a, um, well, she's retired now. She was a cyclist who, um, she went on what was then a kind of a notorious selection camp for an Australian women's development team at the AIS, and they sort of rode up Threadbow and they, you know, sort of SAS style, wake them up in the middle of the night or suddenly get them off the bus and make them change a tyre randomly and in the freezing cold or something like that. And, you know, she got into a real hole. Um, she was already struggling before that, but that kind of finished her off. And um, I, I was very lucky to work with her over the sort of the 12 months after that. Uh, and, and she sort of came back and, and won a national title not long after. But the thing that really struck me, and I, I don't think I really understood it at the time uh, working with her, is that she was saying how much that sort of relative energy deficiency and that underfueling was impairing her her ability to think through a race situation, like the mm. tactical nous, the decision-making, the, the ability to read a race and know when to go and, and when to hold back and that tactical side of things. And she said, well, yeah, as she sort of recovered from the reds and um, her performance started to improve, at the same time she was able to improve her decision-making process in a race um, and that culminated, you know, 12 months later in winning the national criterium title. Um, I think the other highlight for me was um, 
actually the episode we did around gastrointestinal issues. So Steph, uh, in all our episodes, we have like an expert and then an athlete to provide their perspective. So Steph, obviously, that's her area of expertise. So she did that. But our um, guest athlete was a pro triathlete, Aniko Lanos, who um, started out with Olympic distance. He, he raced in Sydney and Athens Olympics uh, and then went into Ironman, I think, finished second at the, the World Champs in in Kona uh, in the, the late 2000s, but he then ran into a whole big problem with gastrointestinal issues, and he actually had to fly out here to Australia, come to our clinic at Monash and do the full assessment to actually work out what the problem was because it took him two or three years of trial and error, and he just couldn't figure out what the problem was. Uh, and eventually, through that um, the testing that he did in the lab, he was able to overcome that, and he describes that sort of the first race back, which was about maybe three months after he'd, he'd come down to Australia and he was on the, the run leg of the Ironman. He just burst into tears because it was the first race he'd been able to do for, I think, almost four or five years. You know, his career was on the line that he was able to, you know, get 10Ks into the run and not feel like he was going to have to pull out because of gut issues. Um, yeah. And he, he actually broke down in tears on the on the podcast. Um, it, was, it was quite incredible. Yeah, wow. That's so head over. That sounds pretty familiar to Brett Robinson, actually, who is one of our marathoners who um, mm. who, who continually struggles with gut problems in the marathon. But, um, yeah. yeah, so the long munch, check it out, listeners, because it is good. All right, so you guys are on here for a bit of a QA. and a um, So we reached out to our patrons to, to get a list of questions. Um, and I'm just going to fire a few at you because... I haven't structured them or order them. Um, yep. Now, I'm going to go from the top down. So first question we had was, what's the recommended ratio for the three major macros for an endurance athlete? Someone yep. training. Let's just, I'll just throw out, I'll, I know you guys love the depend, it depends stuff. So I'm <laughs> going to go and say someone who's running 100K a week who runs 30K on Sundays training for a marathon. All right. Well, this one's easy because it doesn't depend. Um, <laughs> Good. The, you love that. <laughs> yeah, because the answer in this case is you don't use ratios at all in sports nutrition. Ah. So in general sort of population health, we talk about, you know, what is the percentage of calories that come from fat versus protein versus carbs? We don't use those ratios at all in sports nutrition. And the reason is that um, we tend to describe our needs in, in grams per kilo of body weight per day usually, or sometimes even broken down on a, a per meal basis. Uh, particularly in the case of protein. And so I, I guess the way we tend to think of it is that your protein needs stay fairly consistent from day to day. Um, there's a little bit of debate around this, but the general consensus is somewhere around 1.6 to 1.8 grams of protein per kilo of body weight. So multiply that by your body weight in kilos per day is about right. Um, now there's a bit of nuance in terms of how you spread that out over the day, but as a general rule, mm -hmm. um, whereas your carbohydrate needs are going to go up and down depending on your training. So, you know, depending on what sort of event you're training for, what your training schedule looks like, you might have some really big days and then some either really easy or complete rest days where you're not exercising at all. And so your carbohydrate is really your, your high-intensity exercise fuel. So it makes sense that you need more of that leading into those hard sessions, whereas on a day that's a complete rest day, you know, your requirement for carbohydrate is almost nothing. So um, the carbs will go up and down depending on that. So it means that the ratio is going to be different if you yep. actually calculate it. It's going to be different on each day of the week depending on your training schedule. So it's more about matching the carbs to the training than it is hitting these ratios. And the... Um just I'll quickly ask a question on that. So if, let's just use the example of this runner who on Saturday afternoon 
starts maybe fueling a little bit for his Sunday long run, ups his carb intake. Sunday afternoon after his long run, he will have to recover with with a higher carb meal, won't he, or, or several higher carb meals. When does the recovery pe- period finish? When does he start to back off his carb intake if, if Monday and Tuesday are low training days? Yeah, well, if Monday and Tuesday are low training days, I'd probably argue he doesn't necessarily need to go high carb in that post-training period on the Sunday afternoon right. anyway okay. um, yeah. because he's got until whenever the next hard training session is to recover that carbohydrate. And if that's two or three days, then probably just your normal eating and drinking is going to get you there without having to mm. be too aggressive or deliberate about it. Now, obviously, if you were um, backing up, you know, two hard days in a row, that's obviously a different story because then you've got a, a, a smaller window, I guess, to restore that carbohydrate before you've got to go out there and do it again. Yeah. Um, so it's more about, I guess, that window until the next session, I guess, will dictate how important that is or, or how aggressive you need to go with the, the post-exercise intake. Well, that's interesting because a lot of the runners, even in our group, will use Sunday afternoon as a bit of a oh, get it, like a cheating sort of day. It's like oh, I've done my long run; I can just do whatever I want. The Savo, like the, we'll go out for a big breakfast, and then we might have pizza and beers and that kind of thing, just because you feel like you're filling the hole. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. not necessarily the case. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess the way I describe it to people is: imagine you're going on a road trip. Let's say you're driving from Melbourne to Adelaide. There's no point rocking up to Adelaide and going. Right, we're here. Now let's go fill up the car with all the stuff we need to bring. Yeah. You know, you got to fuel up before you're going to use the fuel, not after mm. you hit okay. destination. Mm. Interesting. Yep. Yep. And I think like the thing with that as well is, yeah, if you if you don't have another like hard session or long session, um, the next couple of days, then then that's okay. Um, but then if you do, um, then that that may be where you where you need to get it in and then just make sure that we're still getting in sufficient energy intake for um, for you as well. Um, yeah. So where does fat fit in the mix, Steph? Is that just an extra on top to make up calories or, or what? Yeah. Yeah, generally, like, I mean, in terms of when we tend to, like, look at plans and work out plans, um, you know, um, then we'd normally prioritise making sure we've got, you know, your protein hits, et cetera, and then then periodise the carbohydrate depending on what their training is. And then what what we tend to do is then look at, okay, well, what's then left over in terms of energy intake? And then that can generally be coming from the fats and prioritising that to be obviously coming more so where we can from, you know, your healthy fats. Mm-hmm. Um, that's talking about an individual that is following that way of eating. Obviously, you've got some people that prefer, you know, a higher fat way of eating. Um, and then we may do that differently. But but yeah, generally it's it's kind of a bit of that leftover. Yeah. Okay. So um, next question. We have cross country races that uh, are held in the afternoons here, um, and I've I've suffered this myself. What to eat in the morning and then having a bad um, having a bad experience during the race because of getting the breakfast wrong. So. How do you how do you sort of strategize your nutrition for for a race that starts in the early arvo? Mm, yep. Um. So yeah, if it's um uh, more running base, what I tend to do is uh, 
again, some people are going to be a bit more gut sensitive than than others. Um, but generally, I guess we're all a bit nervous when we've got a, a race or a bit excited. Um, so what you what you tend to do is like I'd think about okay, well, what time is my race? If it's like let's say it's two o'clock. Um, then I'd probably have uh, like a more carbohydrate, more substantial um, meal at potentially like 11 o'clock. Um, so then you've got at least a few hours for that to, to digest and be absorbed. Um, and I'd actually also make sure that that meal is lower in, in fibre and not too rich in protein because those nutrients just make it harder to break down and digest. Can you just throw a few examples? Examples, out? Like, yeah, yes. yep, exactly. So what I do is like I do like something like a couple of white bread sandwiches, as an example, not whole grain or grainy grainy foods, um, and and maybe a bit of ham and salad, but not you know a monumental amount of salad and veggies. It might be a couple of wraps, um, or it might be a large wrap and more liquid based nutrition so it might be um, a large wrap and a sports drink even or a glass of cordial Um, so it's just really easy to digest Um, or it might be if you do pasta if if, uh, people like pasta it's more tomato based and I wouldn't have a whole heap of minced meat in it because because then that's again protein and it's we don't load up a whole heap of cheese and creamy stuff in there because it's harder to digest um, or a lot of people actually find rice is pretty easy to digest. Um, so it might be as simple as a, a mince or chicken um, rice um, stir fry. Again, not loaded up with a with a lot of veggies. Um, yep. So yeah, I'd kind of start my breakfast might be something like as simple as some some cereal with some fruit or a, a few pieces of toast with like jam or Vegemite um, and a bit of sports drink. Then I might have a mid snack if I've got enough time, and it might be a banana or something. Um, it kind of depends when you get up in the morning too. Um, and then I'd make sure as well, like the night before, depending on what the event is, just probably also have that a bit carb rich as well. Um, so it might be as simple as a pasta bog dish or something. Yep. Well, we'll move on to your specialty, Alan. Electrolytes, <laughs> hydration, that stuff, <laughs> the ambiguous stuff. So yep. <laughs> we got Melbourne Marathon coming up. It's going to be in December there. Like there is a chance it will be hot. It could be yeah. quite hot. Um, we have actually had a lot of questions in the store, like what should I be focusing on? How do I get my electrolytes in? So yeah. let's say we wake up 25, 30 degrees race morning. Um, how does an athlete know how many electrolytes they need to take throughout that that run? And, and how do they – uh ratio it compared to how much water they drink is there something that they can follow not at the moment there isn't um there is currently zero guidelines on electrolyte replacement which is kind of ironic because there's you know a whole industry set up around sweat testing (laughs) and measuring people's electrolyte losses and then providing drinks with all different amounts of electrolytes to replace it you've got tablets you've got capsules Mm. and all sorts of Mm. things but um, the reality is there is no current guidelines on electrolyte replacement so it's one of the things that I think most sports dietitians early in their career, they're like, oh, great, there's all this sweat testing stuff. And they go out and do this sweat test and they get a result and then they're like, and now what do we do with it? Like, mm. we know how much electrolytes they lose, but how much should we replace? And currently there isn't any um, good research on that. It's an area I'm I'm sort of actively working in at the moment. Um, 
what I can say from, from the stuff I've done so far is that electrolyte replacement is very much tied to water replacement. In, in other words, if you're drinking a lot of water, then you're going to need more electrolytes. If you're drinking not much water, you need less electrolytes. So I, I think in the past, people have kind of said, well, I lose, you know, 500 mils and milligrams an hour of sodium, let's just say, so I should replace 500 milligrams. And they've kind of completely uncoupled the electrolyte replacement from the water replacement. But the reality is that the two interact in the body. And so if you decouple them, you're starting to potentially run into trouble. So I guess what I, all I can say at this stage is probably the more aggressively you're able to replace your fluid, the more focus you need on electrolytes. If you're a front runner in a marathon, it doesn't matter how good you are at grabbing cups or bottles and drinking like you're just going too fast to be able to consume probably even 50 percent of what your sweat rate is so you might be sweating out a couple of liters an hour if you're a you know a sub three hour runner there's no way you're going to be able to drink more than a liter of an hour running at Mm. that pace so in that situation i'd probably suggest you actually need virtually no sodium at all because uh, essentially, you, your blood sodium concentration is going to go up from the dehydration that you're experiencing. It's only when you, uh, maybe the, the back markers who are uh, got much more access to fluid, much more opportunities to drink it, they're going to tolerate it. They can actually swallow it without choking. Um, they might slow down or walk through uh, aid stations and things where there's a risk that they'll actually potentially even overconsume water, but they're going to get closer to complete fluid replacement. And that's when you, you actually need more sodium. In terms of exactly how much, hard to say for sure, uh, but we know it's certainly not 100%. Uh, and it, it'll vary from person to person, but from anywhere from 20% up to maybe about 70, 75% uh, of your losses replaced. Uh, yeah. But unfortunately, I can't put a number on it. Yeah, so it is difficult to take water on during a, a marathon, especially if you've only got the cups as your option. Yeah. Um, and so it's perhaps best not to stress too much about it then, the electrolyte component on race yeah, day. Totally, totally. And I, I, I guess I went into my PhD in this kind of area with this question of, you know, should we test and target replace sodium or should we just what I call season to taste? You know, in other words, use sodium as, um, you know, it's a balance for the sweetness of the drinks and the gels and things like that. And so you're doing it from a, a flavour perspective um, to make things a bit more pleasant for you as much as anything. And I think in that scenario that you just described, um, season to taste is probably the best approach. Yeah, good. I think I had a um, someone, I can't remember who it was, but I got a message, someone, like, someone had advised that uh, on the body weight loss or, or, or um, water loss, um, fluid loss percentages and how that degrades performance. But I... But I always remember you telling me that Gebra Selassie lost 10% of his body weight <laughs> when, he, when he ran the world record. Yep. Um, so can you just is, – has anything changed in your opinion around that? <laughs> um, it, it's an interesting one. There's uh, probably a couple of parts to this. One is that almost all the studies ever done on hydration are not blinded. In other words – you do two trials and one of them you're drinking lots of fluid and one you're not drinking any fluid. And it's pretty obvious, you know whether you're drinking fluid or not. So, you know, there's quite likely a placebo effect in, in that. 
because you know whether you're drinking or not. There is um, a researcher we actually had him on our podcast, uh, one of the very or the, the episode that was coupled with your one actually, um, Lewis James uh, from Loughborough University, and he's done a couple of studies where they've actually used nasogastric tubes to put water in, and so that people don't know whether they're getting water or not, and it does make a difference still. So even if you don't know whether you're hydrated or not, you, you're better off being hydrated. So I think there's definitely, um, you know, the two percent is probably still the best guideline we have it's probably not perfect and as lewis described if you look at the individuals within the studies that he's done you know some people can tolerate a five percent body mass loss and not change performance whereas other people they get to a bit more than one percent and all of a sudden their performance is dropping off so it's probably quite individual as well how you respond to that sort of fluid yeah. loss um, but yeah unfortunately we don't have much more than that at this stage okay good well next one Steph, we're getting into your zone now. <laughs> What's the typical guide for fueling during an ultra marathon? Yeah. And are there any differences for the front of the back to the back of the pack runners? Yeah, yeah. Um, so the the typical guide um, for ultra marathon um, is is what we'd say it is different to to like your marathon distance and your half marathon distance. Um, obviously we're going at a lower intensity generally, like it will still, you know, change up and down. Um, and then the other thing that's super common in, in particularly in ultra um, endurance events is um, gastrointestinal symptoms um, because generally the longer that we're um, exercising, um, the slower that our gut is able to function, digest and, and absorb. Um, so we, we think um, at the moment in terms of research, we've got this guideline that potentially for females we may be kind of at 0.8 grams per kilo of their body mass is is kind of a target of what we may aim for per hour um, and then for males it may sit at about one gram per kilo of body mass um, per hour so that may be like a a potential target for them um, but again what we do is I'd um, work out well what are they actually currently doing um, and then work out, well, what is the, the pace um, and what's their aim for the event and then um, work potentially towards what that goal is. Um, and so let's say you've got like a, um, I don't know, a 60 kilo um, athlete um, and let's say the, the female. Um, so we may be working towards 50 grams of carbohydrate for them per hour um, but, but I'm not going to actually have that in a in a bolus, just like in your marathon as well. What we want to do is have that nice and small and frequent if we can. So I would cut that up into every 15 to 20 minutes of trying to get that carbohydrate in, um, and then along with a bit of a bit of fluid, um, and that is actually also going to be better for your gut to tolerate um, because your gut then has a bit bit more time to kind of break it down, digest and and absorb. Um, and in terms of is it different for a front, you know, runner or a back of the pack runner? Um, yeah, for sure. So, you know, if, you, if you're at the front, you are going to be generally burning more carbohydrate because your intensity is going to be higher. Um, your fitness level is better. Um, so, yeah, I'd probably be going a bit more towards a higher amount of carbohydrate than a back of the pack. Um, and then just working with that person, like what is their actual goal? Is it just to go out and enjoy? Um, and they're going to be doing a lot more walking. Then my carbohydrate intake goal is going to be less. Good. Okay. Um, the fun one and probably the biggest surprise 
when when Steph, you wrote my um, marathon carb load program or diet, was was the total volume here. This was the biggest shock to me. I thought I had been doing it right until until I saw what you had written me, and um, and I and then I was like, this is going to change everybody because. I was doing more than other people that I knew and I was doing half, I was eating half as much as, as I should have. So I want to run through the carb load. Let's, uh, let's start with, let's start with your guidelines on carb load. We'll start with you, Alan. How far out do we start carb loading and what are the key principles of a good carb load? Make sure yeah. you agree with me, Al. <laughs> yeah, I know what Steph says, so let's yeah. let's compare. Yeah. yeah. So in terms of how far out you start, you know, people used to talk about three, four days. Um, nowadays, we tend to talk about sort of one to two. Um, I, I tend to go sort of, you know, one and a half-ish. Um, and, and what I'll often do now, actually, is just to make sure people are comfortable the night before a race, assuming it's a morning, early morning start, is actually kind of stop the loading per se at sort of afternoon tea time the night before, you know, the, the afternoon before, and then go back to kind of a normal size dinner because you've mm. kind of done the hard work then. Because when you eat carbohydrate, the excess that you don't need immediately is stored into your muscles and it doesn't come out again until you actually use those muscles. So as long as you're not, you know, going out and running the, the day before, you're not going to use it up. Um, in terms of how much we're talking about, between 8 and 12 grams of carbs for every kilo of your body weight in a 24-hour period leading into the race and then obviously depending on how many 24-hour periods you choose to do. That, once you translate it into food, is extraordinarily difficult and this is where the choice of food becomes really important. So, you know, some people just say, oh, okay, I'll just have a big pasta meal the night before and I say to them, okay, well, you know, your 8 to 12 grams per kilo, that means you need probably six, 700 grams of carbs in that 24 hours. Well, your big bowl of pasta is giving you the first 100. Where's the, the other 600 coming from? Mm. And that's when they kind of go, oh, okay, there's a bit more to it just as, yeah. as you described. So I guess in terms of some tips on how to make that easier, um, the first thing would be to minimise the things that aren't going to get you to carb loaded that come from your food that are going to fill you up because – when you're eating that volume of food, and, and you might have experienced this yourself, Jules, did you feel like you were sort of pouring concrete into your stomach come four in the afternoon? Yeah, yeah, it was just yeah. a lot of, a lot of sick, just sickening kind of because yeah. you're putting so much, like you said, solids down. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. And I mean, carbohydrate by definition is starch and sugar, so the most compact sources are going to be sugar. But then you're just having all this sickly sweet stuff mm. potentially, so that that makes it challenging as well. So, I guess the first thing would be to minimise sort of the, the fiber, the fat content, um, to some extent the protein content as well. Like this doesn't need to be a high protein day. And so if you think about like lunchtime might be, you know, as Steph described earlier, you know, rice and chicken or something like that, the chicken portion is really just there for flavor. Um, mm. You don't really need it there. And so it's it's about maximizing the rice portion and minimizing the chicken portion. Um in terms of, you know, fibre, this is a time to go for white bread, white pasta, white rice rather than wholemeal or, or brown rice or whatever, um, just because you're never going to get that volume in. And if you think about it, if you're eating double the amount of carbs, 
and it's low fiber carbs, you're probably going to get the same amount of fiber just because you're eating more of it mm. um, by the time you, you add it all up. Um, and then the second thing I'd, I'd really emphasize is using liquids, using fluids to get your carbs in. Because, you know, if you're going to be drinking water anyway, if you're not getting carbs in the liquid, then you're going to have to drink that fluid and then eat food that has the carbs as well. Why don't you get them both in the one package? It makes life so much easier in terms of the total volume. So so when um, it hits your stomach, a can of Coke is not a great deal different to um, a packet of lollies, if, if that's a similar amount of sugar. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's all going to digest down. Even the starch from from rice or bread or pasta or something like that, by the time it gets down to your small intestine, it's all broken down into sugar, yeah. um, and then then absorbed into you, you know, through your gut. So, yeah, it doesn't really matter what it starts out as; it's whatever's easiest to get into. I mean, I, I would tend not to use something like Coke or lemonade or something like that. One that the fizz, like if you're having a big volume, that's not going to be too comfortable, and and also just the sweetness of it. What I tend to use these days is actually just buy like plain maltodextrin, which is sort of the base ingredient in most gels um, in some sports drinks as well. And it's basically a type of carbohydrate that almost um, behaves like sugar in terms of dissolving in liquids, but it has no sweet taste to it. It almost tastes like nothing really. And so you can put heaps of that into like just a water bottle. You can add, you know, um, some people might add an electrolyte tablet for flavor or just a squeeze of lemon juice or a drop of cordial or something. Uh, and then you can just sip on that between sort of breakfast and lunch and then another one between lunch and dinner and then maybe have one with dinner. And all of a sudden you've got, you know, 200, 250 grams of carbs in without having to really feel like you've, Good. you know, eaten out your fridge. Yeah, um, yeah we, did, we did a podcast on this with a, with a mountain biker, Karen Hill, and um, we, we go through this in a lot of detail. So if anyone's interested in, in the yeah. nitty-gritties of this, I'd, I'd suggest going to have a listen to that one. I think it's 9B episode off the top of my yep. head um, and she actually got to the point where I'd refined it so much for her because she was a client of mine that she was actually complaining that she was hungry while she was carb loading <laughs> which I'd never heard in my life uh, and obviously very different to the experience that you had yeah yeah well that is I mean that's pretty handy if she can get is there an upper limit to that 12 grams above that is it useless um potentially I mean the, the bigger you are or the more muscle you have theoretically the um the more carbohydrate you can store, but then it is in grams per kilo of body weight, so it should scale to body weight anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I don't think there's a lot of point going much above that. Mm. Yeah, I think and, it's only, oh, like, sometimes the Tour de France guys, right, like, because um, they're, like, stage after stage after stage, that's yeah. where they, you know, can potentially, some of them are hit, hitting, like, 15 grams of kilo per body mass, but, yeah. again, lighter body weight too. Yeah, um, but also they're, they're in a situation where, like, they've got the four or five-hour stage today exactly. and then they've got another four or five-hour exactly. stage tomorrow. So they're essentially they're consuming a bucket load of carbs during the stage and then they're almost like carb loading within a shortened time frame that afternoon and evening for the next day stage. Mm-hmm. And so you almost got two back-to-back carb loads joined together. So you're right. I mean, they can hit yeah. 18 grams per kilo, but a lot of that is from the first stage rather than preparation for the next one. Yeah. And in Ballarat, we have Steve Monaghetti who swore by the depletion super compensation type theory for carb loading um he tells a story about being out at a restaurant and just ordering a steak trying to trying to order a steak with no potatoes and um and about how cranky he got and how hungry he got in the days leading in and then and then loading up heavy 
Uh, how much merit is there in that sort of strategy? Well, when we spoke to Jose, um, who was on which episode number was that? Oh, you're good with episode numbers. Nine uh, A, I think. Nine so A. Yep. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, like I actually asked him that because I know like other elite level marathoners do it as well, as well as not, you know, recreational will do it too. And it was that Scandinavian model that, um, I mean, that's how carb loading was kind of first known. They did that depletion phase for a few days and then loaded. Um, but, yeah, Jose was like, yeah, there's there's no kind of extra benefit of, mm. of doing that um, to what we know at the moment. Um, so, yeah, maybe Steve found it beneficial because he, I don't know, felt so terrible and then you feel so bloody good after. So maybe there's a psychology perspective of that. Um yeah, and I think like the important thing is um, just make sure that when you when you are doing that loading period, um, we we say twenty four to thirty six hours is sufficient. Going along with a good exercise taper, um, often athletes are not so great with their exercise taper, um, so that may be where you need to bump it up a little bit more if the they're not tapering. But I mean. Yeah, they should be tapering. Yeah, you'd hope so. You'd hope so. <laughs> yeah. All right, good one. Now, the during race nutrition, probably the other most interest, like what we're all most interested in. Um, I guess we'll start off with guidelines again. Uh, you touched on it with the ultra marathoner, Steph, as we move down to the, the marathon. Do we need less or more carbs? Um, what is the the upper limit for for an athlete in terms of carb intake? Yep. Do you want me to go out or you want? Um, oh, I'm happy to go if you want. Yep. Whatever. Yeah. All right. Yep. Um, yeah. So I mean, the guidelines around this uh, changed about 15 years ago to kind of suggest you know up to sort of 90 grams an hour of, of carbohydrate is possible. The thing to remember, I guess, with a marathon, I mean, there's the shorter duration, but also the higher pace that you're running at. So theoretically, you should be using more, you know, you're, you're burning through more grams of carbs per minute or per hour of, of running compared to an ultra. Um, and so what you tend to see if you get someone in the lab and you measure how much carbs they're using per minute or per hour um, at sort of race pace, it's always going to be higher than what you can possibly consume during exercise and particularly in the marathon you know we talked about it with fluid earlier like it's just so much harder to um choose swallow um tolerate that volume because of the intensity that you're running at and the amount that you you know your gut's bouncing up and down as well mm. so i mean that guideline of 90 grams per hour obviously came out of lab research primarily in cyclists uh, and it does get used in, in professional cycling. Um, some people can even push that higher again. Uh, but what we tend to see over and over again is just that well, that amount for the vast majority of people just doesn't work in running, um, either because they don't tolerate it from a gut point of view or they can't physically access 90 grams mm -hmm. of carbs, like along a course, um, yeah. or they just don't have the opportunities to drink or, or eat that amount of carbs without you know choking on it or having to stop running, which obviously if you're if you're at the competitive end of the field, is, is not an option. Um, we, we actually spoke to Andy Jones about this for the Breaking 2 project, and he said that they aimed for about 70 grams an hour, and obviously they were able to increase the access to carbohydrate because they could feed them off the bike as regularly as they wanted, so they weren't limited to stationary aid stations yeah. every 
every 5k along the course uh, and even then um, you said they didn't get through that whole 70 grams an hour so it was probably somewhere between 60 and 70 grams per hour was about what they managed so I think in a marathon it's not so much about what you actually need it's more so about what you're actually practically going to be able to achieve yep um, so I, I think if you if you're gaining for somewhere around that sort of 50 to 60 grams an hour you're probably doing pretty well in most cases uh, and if you're just doing it to, to finish, you're doing it for charity, something like that, and you you know sort of four and a half hours plus, probably only about 20 to 30 grams an hour is, is, is enough to, to get you through, and it's more there to be protective of your gut as much as it is to, to fuel the exercise. So a gel an hour almost for that sort of athlete. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And I'd, yeah. With, with that gel an hour, try and make sure you start off that um, early if you can because we know that when you consume the carbohydrate, it could take anywhere from 45 to 60 minutes or so for it to actually get to your muscles. So we, we always get kind of this hit when we initially take something um, because of our brain, our receptors. Um, so we feel good when we put carbohydrate in our mouth. But for it to actually be used for the muscles, it takes time. So Alan and I would always usually say start earlier rather than later. Mm. And what we'll often say is back it off near the end. Like in your last 30 minutes or so or um, of your marathon, like, and if you just like can't, you know, stomach things, don't worry about it or just swish some carbohydrates, spit it out if you want, you'll still get a benefit. Um, but yeah, like don't just listen to the gels that you see because often you'll see in all of them, oh, take it 45 minutes into yeah. it, you know, um, but that's that's a bit too general. And yeah. Um, there was a bit of a war on fructose for a while, wasn't there? Like um, we, we, we had a lot of products coming out saying no fructose and that was like their, their selling point. Um, is that something to avoid? So fructose, yes. I guess, has been, yeah, obviously a bit maligned, probably more from the health point of view rather than the performance aspect. Um, with the the way that carbohydrates absorbed from our gut during exercise there's kind of two two mechanisms so basically all the carbohydrate we eat will digest down into one of three sugars so glucose fructose and what's called galactose which is one half of lactose so it only really comes in dairy products so it's probably not relevant during exercise um so so it's primarily glucose and fructose and um there's a I guess a ceiling or a limit to how much you can get out of your gut and into the bloodstream you know per minute or per hour and for glucose it's thought to be around 60 grams an hour um, and then fructose can kind of be additive so if you're going much above 60 grams an hour of carbs during exercise actually the fructose is required because you need that to be absorbed through the other channel in the, mm. in the gut wall um, I guess the other thing that people might talk about, and, and maybe you can add to this, Steph, is the potential malabsorption of fructose and then causing gut issues uh, because it is technically what we call a, a FODMAP. Um, but generally speaking, if people are having that alongside glucose, um, it, it's reasonably well tolerated for the most part and some of the other FODMAPs that are often causing issues. I don't know if you want to add to that, mm. Steph. Yeah. No, um, yeah, you said that well. I think, yeah, exactly that. If someone is trying to get more than 60 grams of carbs an hour, which some people will, um, then that's where you do want to potentially look at the at the fructose. 
um, particularly if you're going more than 70 grams of, of carbs an hour. Um, and that's why you will see that in your gels, um, that, that there'll be glucose and fructose because they're kind of marketed generally to that. But there's definitely heaps of gels that are just glucose or maltodextrin based because, um, well, for a number of reasons, because they know it might cause a, a gut issue and also maltodextrin based because it's less um, sweet. Um, and then... Um, yeah, um, some people do have, have problems with absorbing fructose because it's absorbed a lot more slowly. Um, so if you are someone that is at uh, more of an increased risk of, um, of gut symptoms, um, then that may be something that you want to be more careful of. Yep. Okay, cool. Um, all right, so last one, post-run refuel strategy. Uh, was there a recent little study that I saw that came out, something around it's only relevant for carbohydrate, that 15-minute window, was it, post-run, post where you need to get something in in the first 15 minutes and protein you can you can refuel within a couple of hours or something? Um, yep. what, anyway, forget yeah. that. But what's your, yep. um, what's you, what's your rules for, for post-run? Post yeah, yep. Um, it, it will – I know you hate that depending answer, so you didn't give me a specific situation there. So, All right, okay, um, <laughs> Sunday long run, two hours in the bush. So here you go, two hours in the bush, it's it's a hard run. Thank you. And then do you have another important session how long away? Wednesday morning. Wednesday. And when's that, that long run in the bush? What day is that? Sunday morning, Sunday, but we, gotcha. we're also running every day. Okay, good. Thank you. That's all I need. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, um, all right, I would I would try and be proactive in your recovery nutrition um, if you can. I think it also just puts good good habits in there for you. Um, so, you know, if we wait too long, we're more likely to get tempted um, with, I guess, less ideal choices or we might forget about it. Um, so generally, if we can get something in soon after, um, our muscles are the most receptive, particularly to carbohydrates, soon after exercise. Um, so it will just be able to absorb and take it on um, really well soon after. Um, and and uh, if if I was having another hard session, like particularly multi-stage racing, um, then um, if if it's less than eight hours between another hard event, then I'm going to be like even more proactive in, in getting something in. Um, so I would try and get in some really easy to digest carbs to, to start with. Um, and I generally try and um, potentially, if you've done a decent run and your gut's not all that settled, just um, try and do small and frequent intake if you can, because um, your gut may not be able to tolerate a whole heap, you know, straight after. Um, so even if you made that into liquid nutrition, you know, it might be a fruit smoothie or something and mm -hmm. you can just sip, um, on that might even be on the way home if you've, if you've got a long trek back. Um, and I'd also try and get in some protein for sure, because that's going to help with your muscle repair, tissue repairing, um, and your recovery. So generally about 20 to 30 grams is a, as, um, general advice uh, of a protein hit. Um, and again, if you had like you know, like a, a large fruit smoothie. So you've got 500, 600 mils of milk in there and maybe even some yogurt. You've got your, your 20 to 30 gram hit in there. And then you've also got fluid and elect electrolytes in there as well. So you'll, you'll retain that fluid really well because you've got the, the nutrients in there. So, um, so post run, I'd always be thinking about 
um, getting in some hydration, so so rehydrating and then repair. So that's the protein aspect, Re, um, refueling the carbohydrate bit, and then small and frequent just from the gut um, bit. And then from immune health, um, get in some of those carbs. And then when you can, get in a bit of fruit and veg as well, and that will just get your vitamins and minerals in. Um, but yeah, then if I've got another hard run eight hours later, I'm kind of doing that like continuing to to getting carbohydrate to make sure then I'm ready for the for the next um, run. Okay. Anything you'd like to add to that strategy, Alan? No, I think uh, Steph's covered that off nicely with what we call the the R's, the five R's of recovery. So yeah, I think it's fine. All right. I got one more question then. Melbourne Marathon's coming up this weekend. No, a couple of weekends. Now, what are your three tips for what what are your three tips for an athlete going out there um, and maybe doing a marathon for the first time in terms of their fueling? We'll do we'll do one tip each actually. Steph, you can get the first crack at it. First crack. Um well, my biggest tip is make sure whatever you're going to do on that race day, you've done in your training. So I really, really hope that you've practiced some of your nutrition in your training. Don't copy what your peers do, please. Like, like make sure you, you practice on yourself because we are all individual. Um, and I'd say um, just um, small and frequent intake if you can and um be mindful, generally drink to thirst, you know, even if it's a hot day, um, generally drink drink to thirst. All right. She's taken three tips, Alan. Sorry. I hope you've got one left. <laughs> yeah, well, I think they were kind of all three. The only, the only thing I would add potentially to that, and it's kind of an extension of, of what Steph said rather than anything different, is think about um, do you know what products they're providing on course in terms of aid stations? SIS. Okay. So if you can get hands on some SIS between now and then, so not only practice the quantities, but practice with the exact products that you're going to have on course. Yep. So you don't get any nasty surprises on the day. You don't want to get there and pick up the first cup, have this grand plan to get all your carbs from sports drink provided on the course. You take a sip and you spit it out and you can't tolerate it. Yeah. And then you're going to break down in tears because your whole plan's just gone out the window. Actually, yep. that was a tip also from um, just thinking about Andy um, and something he learned from Louise too is, um, yeah, all athletes are different, so their tastes are different as well. So you really do need to make sure that um, you like what you take. Mm. Yep. Yeah, I like. I thought that too. And, and even just wake the senses up a little yes. bit with a different flavour. Surprise. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Just yep. keep yourself like a little bit entertained almost. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, I can just see see Louise at an aid station like sneaking some menthol into a drink at the mm -hmm. 30K mark and someone's chugging it down and gets this massive hit of like yep. cold menthol in the mouth or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. or something bitter. Yeah. Wake up. They should change that flavour because no one actually likes menthol. <laughs> and I know, and I know it's such a big thing for the, like you guys in the labs. You love menthol so much, but but no athlete likes menthol. I'm giving it a tip. You don't like that minty, fresh taste. No, not on course. Only when no. I brush my teeth. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> All right. Um, thanks so much for joining us, guys. Again, oh, one much. more shout out to the Long Munch. You're on every platform, aren't you? Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly, all the major ones, and yeah. um, because it's our one-year anniversary, our, our next 
well, maybe by the time this is released, it'll be out. Our next podcast after the Breaking 2 one is a one-year summary where Steph and I recorded it the other day. We've gone through and done like a two-minute summary of every topic that we've covered Ooh. over the year. So if you okay. want to not have to play everything back at three times speed and find out all the information, just listen to that one and you'll get a, a summary of every topic. Yeah, yeah cool. I'm, I'm a rambler, as you know, so Alan's is like real nice and succinct and mine is a bit more rambled, but Alan's done a really good job of um, editing me out in, in, a, in too many <laughs> rambles, I thought. <laughs> well, I'll, and, let Brady, I'll let Brady edit out today's episode. Yeah, but thanks also to you, Jules, because you really helped inspire us with the, the long munch and gave us um, some really good tips in terms of just how we actually construct the, um, the episodes with an actual question. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. All right. Well, thank you, guys, and go check out the long munch. Awesome. Thank you. See ya. This episode of the Inside Running Podcast is brought to you by Pillar Performance, Australia's first sports micronutrition brand. Head to pillarperformance.com.au to learn more about their formulations for joint longevity, recovery, energy, and immunity.